Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brew Head. And I am Nathan from Nathan Does Beer. And welcome to episode 148 of Beer Another Shit the Podcast Adjunct Series. Nathaniel, this uh, wonderful guest we have this evening. This is a brewery that we have had on the podcast before, but we've never had the founder, a legitimate Ontario craft beer OG. This brewery is something that's very special to both of us. Um, they were instrumental in our early days of discovering craft beer in Ontario around a decade plus, 12, for me, it was 12 years ago. I imagine about the same for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would certainly say so. And uh, especially since they're from my hometown. Yes, I was about to mention. Uh Burlington, Ontario heroes. Um, yeah, this brewery was one of the first breweries I personally ever went to, and I'll uh, I want I don't know if John remembers. I'll tell him the story of uh, of that. He did something very kind for my friend and I uh, back in the day in 2011, and it was uh, yeah. This has just always been a brewery that's been super special to us. Um, we've heard bits and pieces like from from the other folks who've been on the pod, but uh, I want to get it all from the uh, horse's mouth as such. So, uh, folks, please welcome. Uncle John Romano of Nickelbrook in the book. Welcome, Uncle sir. John. Thanks a lot. Make me feel old. <laughs> I thought Uncle I was see. like the youth version, the young, you know, the cool Uncle. So it's funny. A couple of years ago, this would have been before COVID. I was at a, a Brewers golf tournament, and there was you know a big mix of people, a lot of young, young, you know, youngsters, and and a bunch of them came up to me and asked if they could have their photo taken with me. And I was like, wow, like this, thank you. But you know, guys, like, you know, I'm not a rock star. I'm not a surgeon. And um, <laughs> they came up to me and said, you know what? I, I'm in craft because of what you guys do. One of my first loves was, was headstock and, and we consider you a pioneer. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm in my back then it would have been in my early fifties. And I'm like going, Oh my God, are you kidding me? And, and just to make it clear, we're two decades in guys, two decades in. Too. It, it's crazy. It seems like yesterday. Seems like can, yesterday. Lots changed. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, and a lot is changing. But you know, this industry is like an addiction. You know, like just the people, the beer, the um, the style. Like hanging around your tap rooms and going to events and stuff, and and talking to people and driving down the highway and getting waves. Uh, people, you know, passing you on the highway, waving at you and beeping at you because they see the branded trucks. So it's a cool industry. A lot's happened and, you know, you love it. You know, it's not for the money. It's just the passion and and, and, and the love that you have for the industry and, and for the liquid, right? That's what we Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Well said, yeah. sir. Uh, speaking of the liquid, great uh, segue. We are going to kick off with a Nickelbrook Classic this evening. If we all get this bad boy right here, we have the Naughty Neighbor, American Pale Ale. Naughty Neighbor. Everybody had one from time to time, right? So. Did they ever? Don't we oh, yeah. all? Loving the new branding. Um, John, tell us about this beer, man. This is When did this beer first uh, hit the market? So this beer first came out in the market probably um, over 10 years ago. Ryan Morrow, uh, one of our first brewers, and anybody that's been in the industry for any length of time knows Ryan. I actually saw Great, him at the OCB conference Um a couple of days ago, haven't seen him in a while and talked to him. We had a good chat, reminisced for a while. 
Hell yeah. So we had to get together for a beer. You're going to come visit me in a new tap room. So Ryan created this beer and the idea of this beer was that um, it is made with all American ingredients. Um, it's an American uh, pale ale. And, you know, Ryan came up with the name of Naughty Neighbor uh, because, um, you know, when you're looking back, things have changed, I think, the way people look at Americans. Now we're not going to get political here. Of course. But, you know, Canadians are always the good boy, the nice people, the <laughs> apologetic so people. And the Americans were usually naughtier than we were. And uh, we called it, an, uh, you know, a naughty neighbor. So it had nothing to do with your 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 home neighbor, your business neighbor, your work neighbor. It had to be with our neighbors to the south of Canada. That's actually didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And, and it's you know we call it a pale ale. We're looking at a a, a slightly other rebrand because uh, people get confused with the American style pale ale. Um, mm. And to be honest with you, this beer is actually borderline. We've always been hop forward less malt forward in a lot of our, our beers. Um, and, and this beer, if, you know, when you smell it, you know, you right away, you can smell some hops. And when you taste it, you do get hops. So to me, this is more of a, a session IPA than it is an American pale ale. And I tell a lot of people that are trying to get into hoppy beers and just can't go to like a headstock or that big of an IPA to start with something like naughty it's citrusy it's fruity it's under 5 ABV so it's it's a great gateway to get to IPAs right mm. so when you taste it like if you look up go in liquor store or beer store and you grab a couple of pale ales they're nowhere near as bold as as, as naughty is right so I respect that John pleasure to have you on my man long time coming cheers, cheers thank you cheers Hazy. We don't filter any of our beers. Um, again, not too malt Delicious. forward. We try to stay yeah. away from the malts. And we use a lot of hops that you'd see in uh, an IPA. And it's got a nice, you know, soft, lingering bitterness that you generally don't get from a normal pale ale, right? Mm. So to me, uh, you know, yep. I hate to say this, but this has got more hops than some IPAs we have in the province, right? We We've always, when people look at our recipes, they, they can't believe how much hop we, we use. And it was, you know, the original brewers that started with us were always hop forward kind of guys. They love their hops and, you know, we, we, we always put a good dose of them in it. So this has always been, and it's one of my go-tos. It's probably what I drink the most of, right? Day to day. That would make sense. Uh, for the record, it's got Cascade Centennial and Citra. So it's nice and bright and tropical whilst remaining, uh, retaining that kind of like uh, grassy herbal kind of uh, bitterness in there. Um, that's probably what I imagine the American style pale ale, but it's still got that kind of haziness. So it's like, it's Again, got a little unfiltered. bit more, yeah, unfiltered, more and tropical. It's funny when you, you name some of those hops and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a storyteller. So I, I remember back in the day we were using, you know, stuff like nugget, just because we couldn't get the Citra and the Simcoe's and, mm. and those style of hops. And they were all contracted out by the big brewers. And I remember, you know, getting a, a phone call from, from Yakima saying that they had a spot by. So what happens is they fill out their contracts. When the contracts have been fulfilled, they might have a thousand pounds left over from the contract. 
and they'll call people that they like in the industry or they know that we pay our bills, we're nice to them on the phone. So they said, let's call the boys in Nickelbrook. We got some Citra left over from contract. So they called us. And I, I think at the time, it was the equivalent of about, you know, 20 something thousand dollars American. My wife at the time was doing our accounting. I walked into her office and said, honey, I can do a spot by uh, for, for some for some hops. Uh, you know, I really got to have these hops. Uh, you know, I, I, they're, they're great for IPAs and stuff. And he's, she's like, well, we don't have the money. So walked out of her office, called, you know, just thinking about it, thinking about it. I ended up calling Yakima back up and I said, guys, you take credit cards? And they're like, yeah, we do. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm buying the hops. We, we, ha- we, we have to have them. So I put them on the credit card. They ship out. The next day I go to get gas and my card gets declined. Uh-oh. So I call my lovely wife and I'm like, honey, are you not paying our bills? Like I just went to go get gas and my car got declined. Well, if you'd listen to me, like I told you, you know, you know, cash flow, it was all, we were growing at such a pace. Cash was, was a problem because if you wouldn't have put all those hops on that credit card, I saw what you did because, you know, she looks at statements, she's looking at the bank account stuff. So it's all live online because if you wouldn't have bought those hops, You'd be fine, but buying those hops puts you over our credit limit on your card. You're lucky that even went through. So I had to pay for my gas personally, not through the company, because I bought all those hops. But that was the start of, you know, Naughty Neighbor, Headstock. Those hops were important to those beers, right? That's amazing. I mean, that was a a good gamble that uh, definitely paid off, I would say. That's awesome, man. The... I wanted to just rock a quick story on you and then I want to get into your full, like how it all came together. So I did tell you this over email, but I just wanted to say it here online. So back in 2011, long before the pod, me and my, uh, my roommate, Scott, who was my first co-host on here, we did our first, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she'd gone to like Jamaica with her family. So we were like, all right, sweet. I got some time. Let's do a beer trip. And we just started doing the, the beer selfie thing, which I mentioned earlier off air. And, um, we like, all right, let's go to a bunch of breweries in Ontario, then we can go to like Buffalo and stuff, like sweet. So I, if I'm not mistaken, if it wasn't the first, it would have been like the second stop. I remember we went to, I think it was Trafalgar, which is in the general oh, region. Sure. Yep. So we must have done there first, and then we came to Nickelbrook. And um, that was the original the original brewery, because I know it's re- like only very, very recently uh, moved within Burlington. And yeah. uh, I distinctly remember that was when you had the gluten-free, uh, the apple uh pills um all all those type of type of joints and you were there and you were like hey guys do you want a tour of the brewery and we're like yes i couldn't believe and believe that was a thing so you took us downstairs it was like a downstairs part to the the dungeon the dungeon (laughs) the dungeon and just walked us around and just so welcoming and kind of we were just like yo this is like we're nobody. We're just guys who were drinking beer, and it's 2011, and we were just happy to be there. And uh, I think you guys even gave us a whole bunch of low fills of the um, of the gluten free beer, which was like yeah. obviously you can imagine back then it lost our mind. So it was just really like special to us. We were like, just give us like two of everything type of thing. So it was just a really cool experience, and I imagine that's probably the type of energy that you built the business on, like being. We never felt and so welcome. Inside the box, know? right? Like you mentioned yeah. those two beers. You know, oddly enough, you know, I can tell you stories all night long, but our, our brewers at the time, so one of our reps, you know, hitting the road, one of our earliest reps, Charlotte, um, been with us for years, 
um, she would come by to visit me and say, John, how come we don't make a gluten-free beer? Every time I go in the liquor store, they're sold out and, and I can't believe the prices they're getting. So she told me, she asked me a couple of times. So I decided to drive down to the nearest liquor store to the brewery, went and bought a six pack. I think it was $18.99. I tried it and it was terrible. Like it was flavorless, bodiless, aromaless. Like it was like these poor people, right? So we went to our brewers and said, hey, guys, I think we should make a gluten-free beer. And they wanted nothing to do with it. So me being a home brewer, I decided to make some small pilot projects um, of it. And it was coming out bland and flavorless like, you know, all the rest of them at the time. So I went up to the brewers. I'm a little bit pumped, a little bit annoyed that they wouldn't help me. And I kind of had it out with them. And and they're like, you're because I started making wine before I started making beer. And I probably have made wine from, you name a fruit, I've made wine from it. Blueberries, pineapples, apples, you know, grapes, of course. And they're like, well, you, you need to get more body character and all that stuff. Well, pick pick a fruit, add some fruit, that's gluten-free. So I'm like, okay, well, what fruit could I use to give it some body and character, but not extensive amounts of body and character? <laughs> I ended up picking pear. We have a friend that owns a pear farm, so I've made pear. We actually put, um, I'll give her bottles, and we put uh, the flower in a bottle, make a pear grow in the bottle. Then the fall, we'll pull it off, and then I'll make wine out of the pears and and then bottle it in these bottles. So we started making the gluten-free beer with with pear and sorghum, and we got some body care and, you know, color and character. But, you know, I wanted to have some character, and I wanted just to be a blonde kind of, nothing flavorless beer so we started dosing up the hops and we came together with the recipe and the gluten-free beer and the apple beer honest to god if it wasn't for those two beers i don't know if we would have made it Hmm. Uh, um, the gluten-free beer was on fire it was the only ontario made gluten-free beer and then the apple beer it just you know people were afraid of craft and ipas that that you know that sector was popular, but how many people drank IPAs 20 years ago, right? And the apple yep. beer was that, that anybody could drink it. You know, even a guy that liked beer, he could have one. And the girls liked it. And, you know, a lot, a lot of that younger demographics loved it. And we would get mocked at beer events. I remember, I'm not going to name any names, but remember going to, you know, TFOB, you know, back, you know, 20 years ago, or maybe not that, but... The, those beers were out maybe 15 years ago, but I'd go to TFOB, Toronto Festival of Beers, and, you know, they would mock me and make almost fun of me that, you know, these are brewers, right, that we were making those beers. But we were one of the first breweries to start canning, bought our own canner. Um, they saved the brewery. And then Ooh. from that, we started, okay, you know what, we're getting mocked and critiqued at these events. Brewers are not taking us serious. And we created Headstock and won a gold medal at the American Brewing Awards, you know, many, many years ago. It was yeah. it was one of the number one IPAs in the province for, for years and years. And, and that was the start of the real craft. But we were paying the bills with those two beers. And we started having fun with barrels and, <clears throat> you know, Cuvée and Old Kentucky and Cafe and, you know, Modest and stuff uh, um, so the lights are being turned on by those beers that are gone now and, and saved the brewery. I tell people 
numerous times, those beers saved us. We were able, we were, we were not doing well till we started producing those two beers. Hmm. Amazing. Maybe that's why I felt like they were something. Yeah, that's really cool. They were kind of fairly ubiquitous. They were, they were different, and we were innovative, right? We yeah. launched the first Ontario gluten-free beer. We launched the first. That was the first fruit beer made in Ontario, too, right? When I say in on first, I mean in retail, right? It was in right. the LCBA. Yeah, yeah, there might have been brew pubs doing it, but not uh, that. It was such a big beer for us. I don't know if you remember this from a couple of years ago. We actually did a collab with you. Um, with BOS, we brought back the green apple and we did a green apple lager with um, lactose. So we switched that up a couple of years ago because I was, I pitched when Jen was the marketing manager. I was yeah. like, hey, what do you guys think about doing like a smoothie sour, but green apple to do that? And they were like, that's cool. But then they're like, hey, why don't we do like a lager again, but do it a bit different, make it like a little. Um, uh, dessert, you know, add the lactose in there and a bit of spices and sort of like an apple pie lager and it came out phenomenal. And it was just really cool because it was a callback to to that time and she was saying that that was like the number one popular, like they did like a, a vote or something and that the, the audience was like, bring back green apple and the brewers weren't so it, it, interested. The one we get asked the most to bring back is the green apple pilsner and the cucumber ghosts. Oh, that that's killer! Did. Yeah, yeah. The Uber. yeah. The cucumber goza uh, like is one of, like is one of the best summer beers in the province. It's uh, like one of the most re uh, like refreshing ones around, and uh, yeah, the, the the green apple one before. I, I, like I'm thinking back to go, like going to music festivals in Burlington in my like early days of university before I even really had a concept of what craft beer was. And uh, like, and it was one of those things where there was a Nickelbrook truck at the, uh, like at the festival. You know, and no even if, uh, right, right. And, uh, and even if it. you're uh, not, like, even if you're not much of a beer drinker or like, or, or if you are a beer drinker and don't really have an idea of what craft beer is um, uh, like at that age, uh, like when you, if you see a green apple pilsner, that's something that ca like that catches your eye. And if you're like, and if you're curious, you you're like, yeah, I, I, I want to try that. Like that beer was done mm. so well. When you opened up the can, you thought your, you know, granny's green apple came all over. Like it was crazy. So I, again, storyteller, I got to tell you a little story about the cucumber ghost. So, yeah. you know, Funk Lab was our one-offs and. I really didn't bug the brewers about costs and stuff. Like it's your R and D, right? You want them to have fun. You're not making a lot of products. So you want them to play stuff. So we were at the brewers conference in Washington, you know, years ago and a couple of the brewers were with me and every morning I'd go down to hotel lobby and fill my water bottle with the water down there. And it usually had cucumbers in it. All of a sudden, like I got addicted to cucumber fresh water in the morning. So came back from the conference and guys, I think I'd be cool to make a cucumber beer. And again, the brewers are like, you're crazy. It's hard to do. There's not a lot to work with. And I said, I don't care what other stuff you add to it, but I think we should make a cucumber beer and think about what other things you could put in it to give it some more flavor. So they came back to me with cucumber, um, uh, lime and salt and I said let's do it so they went and bought you know hundreds of liters of cucumber juice some lime juice got some Himalayan salt made a batch I was so impressed I quickly sent 
um, some samples to the liquor board. Liquor board responded right away and said, oh, my God, this is really good stuff. I, I think, you know, we, we would like you to make it for us. I'm like, great. So now the bills start coming in for this thing, right? <laughs> and I find out we paid $10 a liter for the cucumber juice. Jeez. And then the lime juice was expensive. The salt was cheap. The beer was reasonable to produce. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're, they're, this is crazy, like $10 a liter. And this thing was 30% juice, right? So when you do the math, okay, you know, if in, a liter of, in a liter of beer, there, there's 3 $4 a juice. Like how do you, can you make any money? And then the taxes and packaging costs and all your dry goods. But I had already, you know, put the cart in front of the horse and sent samples in. And I didn't know what to do. So I, I start, you know, thinking, thinking, I go by, I, at the time, we, my wife and I were juicing a bit. I went to the grocery store. I bought six cucumbers for $6, like a dollar each. I juiced them all. I got three quarters of a liter of juice and went, oh my God, I can appreciate why the cost is so expensive. Now, if I'm doing wholesale, I might get a better price, but you got labor involved, equipment. So at the time, a friend of mine still works for them, you know, headed off one of the grocery and produce departments at Loblaws. So I called Frank up and lives in Waterdown, not far from town. And, he, and uh, I asked him, I said, do you know a cucumber farmer? He goes, oh, my God, I know Mr. Mucci, Mucci Farms. They're in Leamington. They're the biggest cucumber grower in, in Canada. So I, I called, you know, Mr. Mucci, get him on the phone. He's like, and we, we start talking about it. And he goes, that... What do you want to do? I go, I want to make a cucumber beer. And he's like, I don't know, John, that sounds kind of silly. I don't know. Sounds actually kind of stupid. I'm like, no, you know, it's actually very good. And and he's like, well, where's your brewery? I go in Burlington. He goes, well, I got to go to Costco in Burlington on Friday. I'm going to come see you. So he comes into the brewery, sit him down, open up a bottle. And he he smells it, tastes it and goes, wow, this is actually really nice. He goes, how many cucumbers do you need? And so I do the math. I go, oh, about a thousand pounds a week. And he's like, I throw that out. I'm like, pardon? He goes, I throw that out. I go, what are you talking about? They're too long. They're too short. They're crooked. I, I, we throw out so many cucumbers because the grocery stores want them to be perfect. Like the, I, I remember when we, I grew up on a farm. I used to pick the funniest looking cucumber and eat it. The funniest looking tomato and eat it. Now we look for perfection and all this mm. produce but that's not how most produce grows right and we came up with a deal and he's you know sending me cucumbers so i go buy a juicer i got the cucumbers coming in the brewers are losing their mind on me that now we have to juice mm. i had pat coming up to me our, our head brewer one of our head pat. brewers freaking yeah. out i had to juice had my cfo call me mm. what are you doing we shouldn't be doing this and I ended up getting the cucumbers for free because they were seconds. And from time to time, I'd get a small bill. You know, we would put beer on the back of the truck. And then what would happen, a lot of times, there'd be extra produce. There'd be red peppers, tomatoes, strawberries. There was one week we got two pallets and we asked for one. And I called them back up. I go, guys, what are you doing to me? Like, you sent double the amount we needed. He goes, well, I don't know. We had so many this week. Give them out. So people were coming in the brewery and they'd buy like a six pack of beer and leaving with half a dozen cucumbers. It was hilarious. <laughs> That's amazing. That's how a local economy should work. Yeah. 
that's exactly how it's done. That's fascinating, man. Um, I want to get into your story, but I'm even thinking, I'm looking at the time. I feel like about every 25 minutes, we should sort of get a new beer. We're almost at that. So yep. do we want to get the next beer going and then we can get sure. into the story, even though you, it's going to be a night of stories. I love it. Um, tell us about the next one we're doing, my man. So we started doing this beer uh, a couple of years ago um, for, for Halloween, and uh, it's Creeper Reaper. Um, oh. So again, it's not a crazy, you know, IPA. It, it's pretty sessionable. Um, it's a toss between, you know, your West Coast and, and your Hazy. It's 5% uh, ABV. Uh, IBUs on this beer are, are probably in in the 50 IBU range. 50, okay. You know, and it's got a, you know, a bit of pine, a bit of citrus, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of haziness. Okay. I'm a bad pour. I think they're warming up on me sitting on my, I'm at home. I didn't want to stay at the brewery too late. So you're looking in, the, I'm in my kitchen. I'm a big, uh, I got a, I love to cook and grow stuff. So I got plants. Uh, uh, my house Everywhere. is full of plants. Love it. Well, this smells great. That's a good backdrop there. Yeah. Really good back. So like nice bitter notes, but there are lots of citrus too. This beer, like I said, is it's a toss between you know West Coast meets East Coast. Yeah, I can so you've see got some citrus that. notes, but you got some earthy pine notes at, at the same time, right? Which is uh, like you said, Halloween. That was perfect. I mean, we're recording this uh, November first, so it was Halloween last night. So it's kind of a perfect time. So when when did this? You said a couple years ago it came out, eh? Yeah, we. I think this is the third time we we've done it, um, and we just seem to bring it back for 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 Halloween. It, it's funny, like the the beer came out a couple of weeks ago, and it'll do okay because it's Halloween. But like the fall beers, like even like the pumpkin beers and stuff, they're hot and heavy up to up to about Halloween, and then you know Thanksgiving and up to Halloween, and then they die. They just right, and them. if they don't sell out by then, then they're giving them away. They're discounting them. So you're safer with an IPA. So even though the theme is Halloween, if this beer goes into November, um, it, it's not a big deal, and it'll sell. You know, definitely the, the number one trending and moving, you know, beer. It, it, it you know at, at the brewery and and in most channels is IPAs. Like it might be a small category when you look at the big, you know, world of beer, but when it comes to craft, it's it's the big category, right? And it's yes. and it also falls into that, you know, a big brewery can't make a great IPA. Like, you know, working with these expensive hops and then, you know, you gotta do a you know, you are doing a bittering and boiling hop and then you're doing a secondary dry hop. And can you imagine the big guys opening up these massive tanks and throwing in, you know, buckets upon buckets of hops to do a final dry hop it ain't happening right yeah so a lot of them are done with oils and different things and it's just it's just not the same so that's why a little brewery will always make a better ipa and if you look at the comparison to naughty you know there is definitely a, a color so um the, so i've got uh, creeper reaper to the right of me yeah, yeah. Uh, you know just a little bit less small a little bit less color um, so it's got a little bit of East Coast, West Coast happening to it. I'd love to see it. Gentlemen, cheers. Cheers. Mm. Cheers. So this one rocks uh, Sabro, Citra, and Mosaic. You can definitely get that Sabro in there. 
which is great. Mm-hmm. Love a bit of Sabro. Mm. Yeah. And like, um, I'm finding that like Naughty Neighbor, and like this makes sense with it being around 5%, this has um, impressions of a session IPA as well. Yeah. With, like with kind of the more pronounced citrus notes, um, like a bit more pithy bitterness, and then that speaks again to to like the to the kind of east east meets west uh, uh vibes in there as you were describing so and, and oddly enough it's it's funny what's moving um your your you know an ipa generally is around seven percent it was made to travel and alcohol use was used as a preservative the hops are usually high in ibu 60 70 80 again the hops acted as a preservative made to travel and then all of a sudden you got session IPA and they're four or five, five percent. So what's moving the needle in that category is either your session IPA or your double and triple IPAs. So people are either looking at, you know what, I want to drink beer all night long. So if I have half a dozen doubles or even like even look headstock, headstock seven percent, right? You have half a dozen headstocks, you're, you're going to know it, right? But if you oh, had yeah. you know, four, five, six session IPAs, you're, you're doing okay, right? You might wake up in the morning a little fuzzy, hazy, but you're, you're fine, right? And then you got the doubles, which are the people going, okay, I can buy a session IPA for, say, $350 a can, mm-hmm. or I can buy a double and triple IPA for 5 bucks a can. But you look, you know, bang for your buck. I just paid an extra dollar fifty, and I'm technically getting two beers, because you know a, a double is nine percent, and then a triple is ten eleven percent. So it, it's it's funny how people are, are are looking at at that. And if you dive into data and stats, you'll see those are the two kind of regular IPAs are kind of flat, and session and doubles and triples is where there's some growth in, in the sector. And it, I don't get it, like it, it's weird. So you got half the people, you know, looking for, you know, less calories, less filling, I wanna drink a few. And then you got people going, I wanna get my money's worth and I'm gonna buy a double and a triple and have two beers and feel all right. It's weird times, weird times. Yeah. It's an interesting market. I think a lot of it's coming back from COVID too. Like we always joke and say everyone came out of COVID fat and broke. So they're kind (laughs) of like wanting to do a little bit of both, like, you know, cut calories, but also like some, some people, I know some people who only drink the big guys, like doubles and triples and they just, they won't even drink a single IPA. Like if it's seven, 6%, they're like, no, 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 no. It's eight plus. And there's other people I know a bit more calorie conscious and, you know, going for low ABV stuff or low cal or, you know, so it's a, it's an, you're right. It's a very, very strange time to, to be in beer. For this me, is great. The mood I'm in and what I'm doing, I'm at home. I just want to have a couple of beers. I'll, I'll have a, a double or a triple. If I'm, you know, at, at a party barbecue, going to be drinking for the afternoon, you know, I'll, I'll drink stuff like, like, you know, we had chili tins this summer and or lost in orbit or, or naughty. I'll drink those beers because I know I'm I'm good for at least, you know, gonna have, be in for about at least six beers or more and I wanna be functional the next day, right? Totally. Yep. And it's great that you've you guys kinda cover all the bases with all this stuff, which is fantastic. Yeah. 
Um, I want to pull it back to the beginning, man. Like, tell us how you first discovered craft beer and then how that journey led to opening the brewery. So back when I was a little boy, I grew up in Bolton, Ontario. And, um, you know, our stomping grounds were go up Airport Road, hop over into Creamar, and then go uh, party at Wasega Beach. And I was one of the few of, of my high school friends that enjoyed Creamar. They they were, you know, your, you know, your typical domestic light beer guys. Mm-hmm. And I would go to Creamar. At the time, they had a 500-mil bottle, um, and they had, I think it was uh, – you could get, I think it was an eight pack. So I'd buy myself a couple of eight packs. I would treat myself, drink the one eight pack. And I never had to worry about anybody drinking my beer because they all found it dark and heavy and, and basically say, so can't believe you drink that, you know, That's S-H-I-T. Awesome. But I, I fell in love with it. And then I was making wine um, with my dad um as a little boy we're italian so we you know grew up on a farm my dad was a carpenter mom was a seamstress we on a hobby farm and we we grew lots of our vegetables and we had fruit trees and and you know chickens we got our eggs from and all that stuff and started making wine and drinking wine as a little kid with soda as i got older it was less soda and more wine and then my brothers my partner peter we started brewing beer in our teenage years, mainly to save money, right? It wasn't wasn't really a hobby. And then you got into it, and then you know you, you found out okay, you're trying to knock off Creamar, and you know f- you had you know a few friends that didn't mind Creamar, and it's like, holy macro, your Creamar recipe you're making at home is better than Creamar. <laughs> and then you know my brother and I started Better Bitters in 1992, which was you know a home brew store was the, again one of the first ones. It was the craze of the the U brews, but we didn't want to just be a U brew. We were, you know, a full blown homebrew store and we had the U brew. So if you wanted to buy grains from us, we had grains. If you wanted to buy grape juice from us, we had grape juice. If you want to buy malt kits or, 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 you know, winemaking kits, we had all the supplies and all that. And it grew and grew and grew and grew. And we had a you know, great vibe. We got to know all our customers by name. Everybody had fun. We, there were nights we were packed. Like you had to, it got so busy. You needed an appointment to get in the door. We were doing 20, 30 batches of beer a day. We were the busiest you brew in the province. We had a staff of 20. Um, wow. And like, this is crazy, man. Like we were doing malt extract brews. We were doing full mash and we, there wasn't enough hours in the day to make beer sometimes. So I said to myself, okay, you know what? We, we need to build a little brewery where I can bang off. Like, you know, we were just, we went 10 hex, but 10 hex back then was like making 20 batches of beer. And right. for me to make 20 batches of full mash beer with these little, you know, half hectoliter, you know, mash tons and louder tons was, it was ridiculous. It was, we couldn't do it in a day. So I, I had to you know, start doing the math and buying grain in bulk and getting, you know, 20 batches done in a day, you know, I thought, oh my God, our, our cost to produce beer is going to drop in half because of the labor and buying ingredients in, in bulk. I can't believe I didn't think of this earlier. So we start building the brewery, little 10 hex system. And in the midst of building the brewery, okay, who would have thunk beer wars were going to start? And you were like, when this alcohol drop in price, look look at the past 100 years and when has 
wine, beer, spirits dropped in price. So here all of a sudden, Hamilton, Ontario, good old Teresa Cacioli starts buck a beer, 24 for 24, which was just a mistake. I'll tell you a little bit about that if you want. So all of a sudden we're building the brewery. It's open. We we are con- continuing to try and do what we do. And 24 for 24 shows up. And most people that were winemakers, it was a hobby. You know, their wines loved, the wives liked wine or they loved wine too. And it was a hobby and they did it with a friend. But most people that made their own beer, and I'm going back 30, 40 years ago, they did it because they were cheap. They weren't doing it because it was a hobby. It became cool and more of a hobby, I'm going to say, the past, you know, 20 years or 25 years. It became, hey, man, we should make our own beer. And guys getting together and they visit breweries, go buy some ingredients. So all of a sudden, our business disappeared. Like, all the beer brewing was gone. And we were pretty well respected in Burlington. Burlington has some of the best draft accounts, not just in, in the province. We we have some of the best draft consuming bars. I don't know what it is. Burlington's got good consumable income. They, they It's solid. You know, you look at Burlington and the general population going back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, we were between, you know, you had Ford in Oakville, DeFasco and Stelco in Hamilton. So Burlington was very solid blue collar. You know, they worked hard for their money, but they wanted to save their money or use their money as wisely as possible. So we just, you know, positioned the place and we moved out here. Just luck of the draw. My, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, lived in Waterdown and we chose Burlington to, to set up shop because we thought it was a nice, clean town. And, and uh, you know, I was getting serious with my girlfriend and thought this is where I was going to move, right? And, and lucked out. But the, the, when we started the brewery, Burlington was the, our worst market. It might have been good for home brewing because it had solid blue collar, but they did not embrace Nickelbrook. Like, we had no taps and no business in town. We were, my first draft account, was in in Guelph at the Woolworth Arms, and then right after that, I think we got the Milo. She was uh, now he has his craft beer bar in London. God bless him; he's one of the biggest supporters of craft beer in the province. But I met Milo Shada uh, at the Ontario Brewing Awards. We were standing beside each other, started talking. We didn't know each other, and then you know traded cards. I went to go see him in London. He was. Uh, the bar manager at the Marinbad right across the street from where his present, you know, bar is. And he gave me a tap and I was driving an old beat up pickup truck. I'll never forget this. He gave me, Hey John, I'm going to take a 20 liter of uh, organic lager. Um, and, and I'm driving, you know, this beat up pickup truck for, you know, a hundred dollar beer order, spending 40, $50 on fuel. Then you know, you're out there. So you might as well call the liquor stores and, so London's been a soft spot for us, and we do fairly well out there because we were invested out there from the, from the beginning, right? But right. we started as a homebrew store and then pivoted to the brewery. Didn't really know what we were doing, and we were throwing a lot of darts. We started making lagers and ales, and our original logo was just a diamond with the style of beer. And and like I said, yeah. Apple and Gluten-Free saved the brewery. And uh, it was when we started making headstock that, you know, it, it was a home run. It was good liquid. It was one of the first IPAs. It was probably the third or fourth 
you know, big IPA to hit the market in, in, in the province. And that was, we never looked back after that. Hmm. When did the homebrew side officially shut down? It probably, so it's actually going still. Um, The better bitters part of it probably stopped about 10 years ago. Um, We, one of our main suppliers was wine experts. They're mainly in wine supplies. So they had a program where if you switched, they were trying to create like almost like a franchise or a buying group. So it still exists. It's called Wine Experts. It's on Fairview in Burlington. We just moved it. Like we actually gave it to one of our staff. But we stopped doing beer probably 10 years ago or more. The wine side of it is still going. It's not, you know, it's not doing that well, but it's still, he's, you know, it's a one-armed bandit operation now where it was 20 people, you know, 20, 30 years ago, right? Hmm. And did you, so like, it's, are you still invested in it or it was more like you? No, we actually no. gave it to one of our staff. He was the manager at the time. And we said, you know what? We need the space for Nickelbrook. We've outgrown this site on Drury. Um, you can get, you know, we were trading dollars. I, you know, it saved us at the beginning because Peter and I were drawing our wages from it, working in it very little. And my brother went onto Nickelbrook full time almost from the beginning, like 20 years ago, where I was running both, you know, active in both. And then it got to the point where Nickelbrook needed me 100 percent. It could I could finally start drawing my salary from from uh, from Nickelbrook. But better bidders paid my like Nickelbrook's 20 years old. And I think I was eight years in before I started drawing a salary from Nickelbrook. So the yeah. first eight years in Nickelbrook. It was being paid. I was being paid from our homebrew store. It's crazy. Interesting. And what were the yep. different roles between you and Peter? Like, say when Nickelbrook started, were so you Peter brewing? was on the road from the beginning. We found okay. like we were making it, bottling and delivering it all. You know, in the same Just day. And then again, you know, to tell you a story, we we um, first couple of years in, in business, I'm making some deliveries. To, so we launched the brewery in 2004. So next year will be 20 years, but we didn't get into the LCBO till summer of 2005. So, you know, going in the LCBO, making a call and I see the, you know, a a person doing a tasting. But if you look at tastings back 20, 30 years ago, it was a lot of wineries doing tasting, especially Ontario, a lot of spirit companies. You didn't see any breweries really doing the the in-store tastings to the consumer. So I called the board and asked if we could do them. And they said, of course you can. It's $30. Just tell me what stores you want and I'll tell you availability. And they're from 4 to 8 o'clock on Thursday. Um, they're from 4 to 8 on, on Thursdays and Fridays and from noon to 4 on Saturdays and Sundays. So we went to Sheridan College in Oakville. We got four students that were studying marketing, hired them, started booking to do tastings. And I was one Sunday morning, I'm, I'm, you know, hovering around the house doing some yard work. I get a 911 phone call from one of the students. I'm not feeling well. My grandmother's sick and my car's giving me trouble. You know, I really don't want to go do my tasting. And I'm like, well, okay. I'm not even smart served. And I hop in my truck. I go to the brewery, get a cooler on ice. At that time, it was green apple pills in our ale and six packs. 
and I get some bits and bites, some little cups, and I head off to uh, Oakville on Trafalgar Road uh, and the service road and do the tasting. I'm there for the four hours. I'm having a great time and engaging with customers, the staff. I sell. They had about 46 packs in the store. I sell all 46 packs. Wow. The manager calls me Monday morning. goes, John, oh, my God. Uh, I live in Burlington. I know who you are. I, I better bitter. I know you through better bitters. I used to write a wine. I used to write a home brewing, make your own beer and wine column in the local paper, the Burlington Post. And he knew who I was. He read my column. And he's like, wow, my God, you're welcome anytime. You better bring me some more beer. So we ship off some more beer. And then I look at the lineup for that particular week. And we had a tasting at 495 in Guelph Line on Stone Road. And at that time, it was rated one of the best craft beer liquor stores in the province. Mm. So I decide to head out. I get my smart serve in between. I go online, get my smart serve. They, again, they had about 40 units in the store. I bring 40 more units with me in the back of my truck. So hour and a half in again, it's Green Apple Pilsner and Ale. This store's on fire. Everybody loves craft. They're <laughs> engaged in it, interested in it. I sell all 46 packs in an hour and a half. Manager's still there. I walk into his office. His name was Jim, retired now. And I'm like, Jim, um, I sold all the beer in the store. I got 40 you know, units in the back of my truck. Can I bring them in? Sure, no problem. Give me an invoice. So back then you faxed your invoice in. So fax the invoice in. And it's now about 7.30. I've sold the other 40 units. And Jim still happens to be in the store. He was working late. And he sees me packing up. And he looks at me. He goes, John, what are you doing? You, you, your tasting goes till 8 o'clock. I'm like, Jim, I, I'm, I'm sold out. I sold all the beer. He's like, pardon? I go, you sold 86 packs of beer in under four hours? He goes, that's amazing. And he's like, well, thank you. And then he goes, my card at the time would just say John, right? Nickelbrook, Burlington, Ontario, John. He looks at the card and he goes, who are you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, who are you? I go, Jim, what, what do you mean? Who am I? I'm John from Nickelbrook. No, your card doesn't tell me what position you hold in the company. And I like saying, oh, I'm the owner. I'd go, oh, the beer's named after my kids, Nick and Brooke. He's like, oh, my God, you're the owner. So I'm driving back, again, freaking out. He says to me, you're inviting the store anytime, blah, blah, blah. I'm driving back from, from Guelph. I call my brother. He's slugging kegs in downtown Toronto, you know, at you know 9 o'clock at night. And I said, buddy, I did a tasting on Sunday, sold all the beer in the store. I did a tasting tonight. I sold all the beer in the store. You better get your butt home, get your smart serve. You and I are hitting the road. And mm. if I told you I spent every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and most Sundays in an LCBO, my brother doing the same for multiple years, I would not be cutting myself short. Um, wow. And that's how we we we... We, you know, it was guerrilla marketing, you know, that's how that's we did it. You know, we that's built crazy. the brand doing these yeah. tastings. Then the couple of stores started getting kitchens and Peter and I like to cook. I, we have records in units sold in, in tastings and I still do them. Like on, on Friday, we, one of our staff couldn't do a tasting at Waterloo and I'm like, I got this. 
I got another employee. We got another one this Friday in Guelph again, four ninety five. I'm going back to my my, oh, my first stomping grounds. And I'm going to be doing four ninety five in Guelph on on Friday. One of my staff came up to me uh, on Monday. He's like, "How's your weekend? Okay, you know, I work Friday night." So I was like, "John, you, you got to delegate more." And I'm like, "Why are you saying that?" And she says to me, "Well, wh- why did you go do the tasting on Friday?" I go, why did I do the tasting on Friday? I go, because I enjoy doing them. Like when I do a tasting, it's not just about selling units. I'm talking to the consumer. I'm getting feedback. Mm. You know, what do you like about this can and the mark, the, you know, the art and what don't you like? You know, what do you like about the liquid? And then if someone dodges me and doesn't want to buy my beer or taste my beer. So I watch the front door and I watch the cash. So if someone didn't buy my beer, didn't want to taste my beer, what did they buy? What's the most popular thing going out the, the you know the through the cash on, on a on a Friday night? So you get all kinds of information, and it keeps you grounded, and it keeps you connected with with your with your customer, right? With the, the shopper, you know that alcohol beverage shopper. So I'll never stop doing them. Never. I, I enjoy doing them. Number one. And it keeps me, you know, connected to my roots and it keeps me engaged with the consumer. And then I get, I get information from doing them. Even Peter, Peter Friday and Saturday did a tasting at LCBOs. That's awesome, man. We don't do them as often as, as, you know, we, we were, but we still do them like this summer. I, in the spring, I was in an LCBO every Saturday kind of wrecks your weekend in your summer but i didn't do much this summer but you know uh, when the brewery was you know it, it's struggling things are in decline you're trying to figure things out right and by doing the tastings it helps you figure things out yeah it's it seems like a really important thing to do for you to get like to remain sort of tapped in to what's happening it's like whenever i worked for any of the jobs I ever had, I always felt like the manager didn't really know much of what was going on on the ground because they're so detached from it because they're just managing people. And now I'm a business owner and I have staff myself. I'm like, oh, I can see how it's pretty easy to stay out. So it's like you're keeping your sword sharp by being there and looking the people in the eye. And there's always been, as you probably know better than anybody, I feel like there's always like a like a cachet, a social cachet to always be like, oh, I was talking to the owner of the brewery. You know, people love to talk to the owner or the brewer. And it's like. Oh. So you know, it's funny. If, if someone's dodging me, um, I pull out that card. Like I just <laughs> play, hey, you want to try some beer or sampling? You know, no bad days and wicked awesome tonight, blah, blah, blah. And if they dodge me, it's like, hey, sir, I'd really like you to try my product. I'm the owner of the brewery. And, you know, not all, but when a lot of people are like, no, I don't have time. I really don't want to. When you tell them you're the owner. They Changes stop everything. and turn around. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And it, yeah. I can even think if I if someone goes into the tap room and then they speak to you there, that's already cool. But if someone walks into an LCBO and you're taking your time out, like you said, particularly on a weekend, you're like, you own Nickelbrook. What the fuck are you doing here? Like that, yeah. I think is like is very like I guess you're proving the point. I guess you know, super meaningful to people. It's uh, it's yeah, a very cool thing to do. Staff, like when, you know, you're, you know, this summer, even one of our staff was supposed to do a tasting in Grand Bend and their father-in-law was passing and they were going to cancel the tasting, you know, cause it's three and a half hours away from the brewery. 
I called Dave up. He's our Windsor rep. He looks after Grand Ben. I called Dave up. I said, Dave, um, sorry to hear about your father-in-law. Do not cancel the tasting. I'm going to go do it. I drove, you know, woke up bright and early, went out there early to get an idea of what's happening in Grand Bend. I couldn't believe how much it's changed and how busy it is. So that the, wow. we launched a Paloma, a cocktail, which we can talk about later. Yes. But I sold 20 cases of product in that store that weekend. Jeez. Yeah. 20 cases. See, that's amazing. 20 cases. What? Okay. So then for people, one of our most, like, I think actually the most watched video on our channel is a, it was called the business of selling beer. And I was chatting to a sales rep in Colorado. Um, and he was just breaking down all, you know, the systems that he uses and what they do. So I'm curious. And I imagine that the audience might be curious too. Like what, what are you doing in these uh, sessions? So that, when, that's when so I, it depends where I'm going. If I, if, if I'm doing a consumer tasting, it, it's more about the passion the love of, of what you do, right? And then when you go into, say, a bar or less restaurant, and we call it on-premise, you know, it's that, the passion and love of, of what you're doing. But it's also, what can I do to help this bar owner, restaurant owner? Because let's face it, like, they've got 20 taps. They carry 50 beers, 50 different beers in package. So you need to observe the client um, observe their clients, him as a client and an individual, what he's carrying. And it's like playing a card game. You know, what card do you have in your deck will benefit the hand, right? Mm. So, it, and it's, you know, it's being there. And then just to be honest, when, when people find out, you know, that you're owner to owner, it's a totally different language, right? Mm. They're working hard, you're working hard. And, and you know, Peter and I, you know, not so much now, but back in the day, we were our best salespeople. And when I, not kidding, if I told you I was making beer, I was at the brewery grinding barley at six o'clock in the morning, and then coming back from London at 12 o'clock at night after making deliveries, right? And that wasn't like every now and then, that went on for, for years. Even when we do our tastings, if I did a tasting in London, I'd be making beer at the crack of dawn, finishing it by early afternoon, whipping out to London, making a couple of sales calls, making doing my tasting from four to eight, hit downtown London, make some more calls and possibly some deliveries, and then grab the coffee and hope you didn't fall asleep on the way home. Jeez, you know? And that's, that's not a it. short drive either. <laughs> And no. I've done it to Windsor. There's there's days where Peter and I have done that. Like I'd be in Windsor coming back around midnight and Peter, Ottawa, coming back around midnight. And we'd go home, sleep for a couple hours and press reset. Oh, my God. That's wild. I, I guess that's the unglamorous side of craft beer that most people don't yeah, see very sexy or hear about. The very sexy <laughs> oh, man, that is wild. Um Let's take a uh, a beer. I guess it's a good time for the next one. Looking at the Let's the time it. here, um, Uncle Goose. Don't you love that can? Look at that. I do. So this was the winner of beer with no name. Ah, okay. So this is just a, 
Um, I'm, I'm liking it. I went to visit a, a f- old friend on the weekend and brought some Uncle Goose. So most of our beers, like I talked to you or said earlier, are, are not very malt forward. But right. most West Coast IPAs, especially a lot of them made in Ontario, are very malt forward. So if you look at the color, like this is Uncle Goose. I'm going to go back to Creeper Reaper. Look at the difference in color, right? Yeah. So this beer um, is, you know, a little bit more about the malt. So it's going to be a little sweeter. It's going to have a little bit more body. Still going to have all those nice flavors and stuff, but the malt will tone a lot of them down, right? If Mm. this beer was 5% like the other ones, the hop would come out more. Because there's beers a little bit more malt forward, um, it's not as bad. So it's it's got more body. It's more smooth because of the malts being used. Definitely, the orange on the can is even like is even pretty indicative of the color of the color of the yeah. pour. It's pretty spot on, actually. Gonna say yeah, it's got this and it's very amber. smooth. Like it's very smooth for you know six point three percent. You'd never know it, but it's got nice. It's got way more body than the other two, right? Yes, I mean, definitely ramp up. And this is definitely something, obviously, headstock we're going to do shortly. But this is, would you say that uh, the West Coast is, that's really where you made your uh, reputation back in the day? Yeah, and it's coming back. So for years, it was West Coast. And then all of a sudden, it was that, you know, hazy New England IPA. And it's crazy. When we, we never filtered our beers. Okay. And it wasn't anywhere to be seen on the package. And I don't know how many times I get, John, I just cracked a keg of headstock and it's cloudy. John, I just opened <laughs> up a, a can of headstock and it's cloudy. Like you couldn't give away a hazy beer. Back in the day, right? Years ago. Yeah. You know, oddly enough, you know what saved that and allowed it to change somewhat? Was wheat beers. If you look back, like Rickers White yeah. and Blue yeah. Garden, you go back about you know, 16, 17 years ago, those beers were becoming very popular and they were unfiltered. So it's, people were starting to accept that, that the beer was cloudy. But if you served a hazy beer like that 20 years ago, you'd get it sent back to the brewery. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Right? It's, it, yeah. it, it was crazy. And we we've never filtered our beers. We our beers are naturally carbonated. They're unfiltered. You know that's part of the process. It's part of the process that you know keeps it natural. Like there's some nasty stuff being used to clean. You know, filter beers like fish finings and all kinds of stuff. Right where yeah. we just we use time and coldness. Like the colder the beer is and the longer it sits, the cl- clearer it's going to get. Right. Mm. It's true. It's uh, it's definitely the way to go. Um, I'm excited to sip this because uh, Headstock's one of my favorite beers of all time. Beautiful so, color. Uh, nice orange yeah. color. Touch opaque. Beautiful. Look at that head. Pillowy right there. Mm-hmm. And it's smooth. Like it's uh, like I said, the team we have in a, Cheers, at the Jensen. brewery right now, they're, they're rocking it. Mm. Nice. This is actually quite different to Headstock, which um, it's – you would argue that most breweries don't make multiple West Coast IPAs in this day and age. So I love mm-hmm. seeing when a brewery does because and to see where they go with it. This is very different. This is um I guess we'll find out soon. This is 
it's a lot sweeter. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's sweeter more because tropical. The malt, right? Yeah. So you you got it right. So the amount of malt in this beer, it's got way more malt and you know richer malt. So this beer is much more malt forward, right? Okay. And headstock's more, you know, less malt and it's more the traditional where it's got like a piney bitterness mm-hmm. where this has malt forward, a little bit of pine, a little bit of citrus. Mm. But it's a lot more, you could argue that the headstock is a little more like that West Coast kind of like older school, like punchier as West, far as yeah. West Coast piney. Like when we launched headstock back in the day, we we bittered and dry hopped with nugget because that's all we could get and all we could afford. Right. <laughs> At the time, right? Good old nugget. What's in this one? What's in this? This has got uh, Amarillo, Citra, Simcoe. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. It's like a little bit dank from that Simcoe in there. Um, Yeah, man, this is great. This works really well. That nice malt presence is kind of like thick and creamy. But the piney dankness is like like an undertone as opposed to sort of overwhelming. And I feel like whilst maybe the three of us are, are very much into you know all things westies the there's a whole bunch of people kind of what you were saying as well when you know uh new england's kind of took over there's a whole group someone told me this recently they were like there's a whole group of people who think the only th- an ipa is a new england ipa and that a sour is a smoothie sour and a stout is a pastry stout like they don't know that these things really exist that's how they came into uh, beer so yeah this is probably, and then they drink a West Coast IPA, like, oh, what the fuck is this? This is like bitter and like it's a pine yeah. and trees. Like, but then it, it, a beer like this could kind of warm people up to it potentially. Is that fair? This is almost like a gateway to a true West Coast, right? Yeah. Gateway West Coast. Okay. That was a question for you. Um, we often talk about gateway stuff here because I always feel like it's the most underappreciated thing that breweries do. Gateway anything is incredible for craft beer because if we have to make sure we have more people drinking craft beer or it's not going to be here much longer so gateway is a way to get bring people in and there isn't like one specific style or anything that is gateway but i feel like with you guys you guys have an interesting position where you're able to satisfy the beer nerds with beers like headstock which is still a classic to this day uh with kentucky bastard which is one of the best imperial stout series in the province hands down it's spectacular um and then you you know you're doing some of the new like the sorry that's the the nerdy stuff and then the newer stuff you've got like a, a ton of different beers that are well you could argue naughty neighbors a bit of a, a a gateway um there's a bunch of others like did you guys go into the game anticipating that that was that the plan to be a brewery that well, so what what happened so you got headstock it's performing mm-hmm. you you got that demographics you got those IPA fans. And now the brand grows, 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 grows. And then it, it hits, you know, a, a peak, it plateaus. And it's like, okay, if I hand headstock to a domestic beer drinker, they're going to spit it out. Yeah, that's true. 90% chance, right? But now if I, you know, start talking to, you know, a domestic beer drinker and say, have you ever had an IPA? Oh, they're strong or too bitter. And I hand them a lost in orbit or a naughty neighbor, 
he might say, oh, you know, it, it's, you know, it's okay. Like he'll finish the beer. He may not really, really like it, but he'll finish it. But then it, it's like, I, I get very annoyed at people that say, I only drink this beer. I only drink that beer. It's like, it's like saying, I only eat pizza. I only <laughs> eat hamburgers. Right. Yeah. So, I get annoyed and I have, you know, friends that are big fans and I have friends that I just, they, they drive me crazy. And it's like anything, like give it, giving it a chance. You know, if you drank a, a naughty neighbor every night, okay, your palate's going to stop drinking that other stuff. And you, you have a naughty neighbor every night, your palate will adjust to that and that's going to become your neutral point. But you got to clear your mind. And you got to give it a chance. Like we were just, my wife and I, and I'm not a big golfer. I golfed for the first time this year, a couple of weeks ago. I went to a golf tournament. And of course I bring a mix. I bring no bad days and stuff, but I got, there's a few people in the basement. We, you know, I went to a, had dinner at a home after it. And there's, you know, a handful of people that only drink this beer, only drink that beer. And of course I brought, you know, a little bit of naughty, a little bit of, you know, uncle goose, uh, you know, and a case of no bad days because I knew that majority of the people coming to this thing were going to be those people. And they're all drinking their stuff. And But then I start putting cans of, of no bad days out. And even our no bad days was a plain lager. Mm -hmm. It's 100% malt. It's got some hop. And people don't realize that most domestic beer is full of is made with corn extract and, and mm -hmm. fillers and stuff. And that's why it's so blonde. And so flavorless, because if the beer is made with 100% malted barley, you're going to get some body and flavor. And, you know, it's a pretty neutral beer um, and it's pretty clean. And, you know, one guy's trying, a second one guy's trying is like, wow, this is okay. But they've got this craft beer. Nickelbrook makes IPAs and stuff. I converted a couple of people that night. But, you know, if I wouldn't push and it would never have happened. And it gets tiring. I hate to say, like I'm in it 20 years into it and I still have good friends and acquaintances and stuff that won't, won't touch our beer, but it's almost like a, it's a mental thing They're they're trapped and set in their ways and they, they just won't give the, the, the beer chance. Like if I, so my, my main drinks are beer, wine. And if I'm not drinking alcohol, I like kombucha. Yeah, okay. hell yeah. I have, if I'm not drinking alcohol, I have a kombucha at night. It's my little treat. I have a one bottle. I fell in love with GT's um, yes. ginger kombucha, had that bite, lone sugar. And it was that, you know, you go to the grocery store, it's, it's almost $4 a bottle. And at yeah. one time, Costco had it, it worked out to $3 a bottle. So I was buying it there. And then they stopped carrying it mm. and they had Costco had their own brands. So of course I know what they did. They got people hooked on kombucha. It was, you know, they launched their own at a cheaper price. So I grab a case of it. It comes in an eight pack for $2 less than what a six pack of GT was. And I buy it. I bring it home. I open up a bottle going, Oh man, I don't know. It's okay, but not the same. I don't know. So eight bottles later, I'm like, ah, it's okay. And then I'm like, I go back to GT and then, it, you know, it starts hitting $4 a bottle and stuff. And I go back to Costco. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try it one more time. 
I get the other one. By the time I finished the second box, I was a convert. That's what I buy now. Mm. My flavor adjusted it. Yeah, GT's has a little bit more ginger bite, but the Costco one's okay. They make a ginger one as well. And I'm a convert because I acquired a taste for it, right? Mm. Like, you know, you don't like garlic? Well, don't use a lot of it. Like if I showed you the amount of garlic, I grow my own, first of all, 600 bulbs, believe it. Jeez. And, you know, people watch me cooking and they're like, oh my God. And then the first time they have my tomato sauce, they're burping garlic all night, right? <laughs> but the second and third time they have it, they're like addicted to it because my, my, the base of my sauce is homemade tomatoes, lots of onion and lots of garlic. And then once mm. you try it a couple of times, you're hooked and, and anything else is flavorless after that. Like even Guinness, people like, Oh my God, Guinness tastes like nothing to nothing. me. Nothing. It tastes like yeah. nothing. It's incredibly mild. Yeah, like it's <laughs> scarily so. It, it's, you're drinking this dark thing and I'm ready for this punch, even at like 4%. And it's just, if you didn't, it could have just been creamy water at some point. Yes, yes. But it, it's scary. It's a mindset. People get programmed, right? They're scared of that beer. Like, it's like... I've been told, you know, the stuff from back home is way better and probably is. Like, let's face it, this is reconstituted in North America with yeah. some nitrogen, right? Um, and people are, are are afraid of it, right? And, you know, and it's like, you know, Rickers Red is the worst thing. Like, you got this dark black beer and it's also flavorless, but it's this big black bulb thing, right? No, it was a mistake. It's it's colored ale from from the big guys, right? Yeah, yeah, it's totally different. I, I see what you're saying. It's just more like that. Once you actually try stuff and just sort of be a little bit more adventurous and and give it more than one chance, yeah, then you get it because it does take time to adjust. Like ginger is good for you. So if you wanted to make a heavy dosy ginger drink it, it's gonna have a lot of heat and it's yep. it's gonna it's gonna bother you but like i drink lemon ginger water when i wake up in the morning i make myself a tea lemon and ginger water i do that every day. day yep and cayenne pepper too i can um sometimes i add the cayenne yeah. and you know i add more and more ginger and sometimes i let it steep for like hours and if, if i drink it like within 10 minutes it's got a soft ginger note if I let it stay for a couple hours, it's hot, right? Mm. But then you get accustomed to that, and then you're like, you know what? I prefer that punch, that but punch. you can't start off drinking that way, and it's good for you, right? So the more ginger you extract out of when making the tea, the better it is for you, right? Mm. Yep. My mother-in-law put me onto that and it's the best thing. I start every day with it. It gets the mucus flowing. It gets all the, the crap out of you, so you start Cleanses the day. Cleanses you, right? It's I, I love it. It's one of my favorite things. And like you don't always like enjoy it. It's not the tastiest thing, but sometimes you could add like a spoon. I had like half a teaspoon of uh, Manuka honeys because it's got bioactive ingredients or something in it. So it's like if I'm feeling like, oh, I'm not really, you know, you can just soften it, but I don't, you don't need it. And it's look like at you, you healthy dude, you. I Look, I got to balance all this beer, brother. You know, you're uh, <laughs> I gotta get on your level with the garlic though. I'm, That's... I'm a good boy about five days a week and I'm a bad boy about two days a week. <laughs> so what are you gonna do? Hey man, you gotta balance the good and bad boys, you know? I'm I'm all for it. It's uh the balance is, is definitely true. But yeah, you're right, man. It's just such a it's such an interesting thing trying to get 
trying to, I guess that's the biggest hump in beer is getting those, getting people to sort of like get over their preconceptions and just, you know what, give something a try and, and, and experiment and have fun. Like you, you would with food. What are you going to do? Go to go somewhere and not try all the food. He's going to eat McDonald's or go to Europe. Stuff, right? It's the best. I, I love to cook and um, I experiment when I, when I go, some of my family's best dish, like dishes I prepare at home now, you know, some of my traditional mom and grandmom mother's recipes and stuff. But like my wife's favorite pasta dish is a chicken bow tie. And we were out in uh, La Costa, a little Italian restaurant downtown Burlington, you know, like 18, 19 years ago. I think it just opened Nickelbrook. I was trying to make a sales call and treat my wife all in the same time. And she buys this chicken bow tie pasta and she's raving about it. I have a bite of it. The waiter comes back. I ask him a few questions. He whips over into the kitchen, asks the chef my questions, comes back with the answers. The next Saturday, we're you know quiet home at night watching a movie. I'm I cook on the weekends a lot, and I made the dish. And she sits down and starts eating. And goes, oh my god, oh my god, this is the pasta I had last Saturday, but it's even better because I put more cheese in it. Mm. I put more chicken in it. I put more sun-dried tomatoes in it. And she's raves about it. And it's one of my family's favorite dishes. And my brother and I, believe it or not, we make <laughs> our staff the Christmas, like we have our Christmas party. My, it's all homemade. Um, I, my brother and I take like almost two days off work, pizza, pasta, smoked meat, Ooh, and I, I make that pasta for the staff at Christmas. And they like goo goo gaga. Some of them bring doggy, like they bring takeaway <laughs> containers because we make so much of it, right? So they think, John, I brought my takeaway container. I'm like, no problem, Scott. Fill it up, to, buddy. I'm going to have to swing by, Johnny. Because uh, yeah, yeah. I used to work at Jack Astor's like 20 years ago. And there was a dish on their menu and I think it was called Asiago chicken bow ties. And it sounds exactly like what you're talking about, but what you're talking about sounds even better. You could do with Asiago too. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's almost a rosé with sun-dried tomatoes, fresh tomato, cream, of course, chicken. And I marinate the chicken overnight in wine, basil, thyme, oregano, garlic. And then I fry it up in wine and get, get it all cooked off. And then the, the base, the base is uh, um, cream. You know, of course, not good for your whipping cream. You know, you're, you're grated. You know, I use raw, a big fan of Romano and and um, you know, Parma and Parmigiano. But I use the two mixes and then sun dried tomatoes. And then I garnish the top with fresh chopped tomatoes. Some garlic bread and Bob's your uncle. Oh, Italians know how to do it, man. Oh, it's... buddy, I just came back to Italy my thirtieth anniversary. Went there for my my wedding and um, our honeymoon. Never went back for thirty years. I got back and I went to my mom. My dad passed away recently. My mom's alone, but went to go see her. I'm like, mom, what the hell? Why did you come to Canada? <laughs> this what is incredible. Mean? Oh my God. Like there's no Italians immigrating to Canada anymore. Right. That was 70 years ago. Right. And like they live better. They eat better. The quality of life, the quality of the food. My wife eats very little pasta and pizza here because she just, her body just doesn't function as well. 
every day there because the the, the food's not processed like it is here, right? Mm. She's like, you know, my grandparents were farmers in Italy, grapes, olives, almonds. And back then farmers had kids to work the farm. You didn't have a, you didn't have a kid to send them to university. You had a kid to work the farm. Mm. So the first three kids were for girls. So my grandfather's like, I can't do this farming by myself. I've had three girls. I'm getting older. He's had some cousins and stuff come to Toronto. He decides to follow them, gets here and has four boys. So my mom said to me, if we would add the four boys first, you'd be living in Italy. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. Have you used any of your uh, Italian, with the heritage in any way and injected that into the business? Has it been influenced by that? Um, I, I think more the, the, I think the family culture, like, okay. don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect, but we, we try and, and, and have a, 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 you know, I try to, it gets busy and you get caught up in the weeds and then the ruts and all that stuff. But we have, we, you know, Italians are, you know, strong family oriented people. And I think Peter and I, um, you know, work hard to, to do that. You know, I get, I joke, they joke around with me. A lot of people go, have you tried making a garlic uh, um, beer, <laughs> or, you know, an oregano beer though? So the closest, I have a big mitt patch at home. Uh, I live in the country. I have a big property and I do a lot of gardening. It's my yoga. Um, oh, and yeah. I love, I get a kick out of, you know, getting a, a tomato seed and then doing the seedling in the, my living room turns into a greenhouse in the late winter and spring. My wife thinks I'm crazy. And then, you know, taking this out in the garden and planting it. And then by, you know, midsummer, you're pulling baskets daily out of your garden. I, I'm going to plant this weekend 600 uh, garlic bulbs. Right? And it's a big joke. One of my, I give out beer and garlic when I'm doing, you know, sales calls and stuff sometimes. It's pretty funny. That's awesome. That's so Italian. I love it. I feel like all Italians, I've known people who you go in their garage and they got like meat curing, like, you know, hanging from the ceiling and then they- That was my family home. Yeah. Oh, love that. And they do the, <laughs> the tomato sauce making thing like once a year or whatever. You have this big thing. Every year, yeah. 28 bushels. Cause I got all my buddies love my spaghetti sauce, right? So you give me a recipe and you're like, you're, you're keeping something from me. My sauce doesn't taste anything like yours. I'm like, okay, where'd you get the garlic? You bought that Chinese junk. Where'd yeah. you get the tomatoes? You use that friggin', you know, Heinz can. I make my own sauce. I grow my own garlic. I grow my own basil. It, it's night and day. It's yeah. night and day. Yeah. Right? Do you think it's it like makes craft a... beer? I yeah, make I was craft about to say. sauce. Yeah. How, do you have you ever thought have you ever thought about selling it through the through the business or it's not really uh, that kind of party? that's a lot of work and that's another animal right like um, you know I, you know and oddly enough and even at the brewers conference like you know our, our old you know talking about the move so we were at Drury Lane for thirty years we get pushed out because of high density losing my mind trying to find the right space can't find space that has parking you know fast forward two years later finally find a place that has, you know, everything we need, checks all the boxes, but you have anxiety. Like you, you were at that space for 30 years. Like I can almost, I could almost autopilot drive from my house to Drury Lane. And when we mm. moved to Mainway, no many times I drove down the Drury Lane because <laughs> I was so pro, like, I, I, it was like a program down, yeah. left, left. Yeah. Left, just, work, just right? all muscle memory at that point. 
Yeah. Uh, 30 years going to the same place. Yeah. Hello. That's crazy. Like it's crazy. Right. And then you move there and it's a bigger space. You guys got to come out. It's a bigger space. Yeah. It's more, more vibrant. It's open. And you know, our old place, it was a tap room. You went to buy beer and really sample beer. And then you start doing by the glass. But what's happened now is sur- survival now part of it. And I've, I've taught heard the FCBO say this, some major brands say this. And then this week, um, Last week, uh, Trillium Brewery was at uh, OCB and the husband and wife talk. They're at Boston Craft Brewery that's done amazing. It, we're, we're a brewery, but at the end of the day, we're in the hospitality business, right? Making beer and selling it out of your tap room is hospitality. And it's about creating an experience, okay? And, and what better experience is having food with a good beer, right? Good beer, good food. So, you know, yeah. we started, you know, at Drury Lane uh, with, with chips, right, and peanuts. And then we moved to Mainway, and it's chips and peanuts. And then all of a sudden, like, you start to do things. And we sponsored a Ukrainian family this past um, summer. And uh, mother-daughter, the daughter started working us full-time. The mom worked at the Pepperwood local restaurant. Uh, part-time so we uh, asked her she's very baker very good in the kitchen we asked her if she could make us a, a, a you know a authentic ukrainian lunch for our sales meeting we were having all our reps coming in from all over the province and stuff so she made this fried like almost panzerotti it was like a big pierogi but fried and then she made four different pierogies one blew my mind more than the other one and then she did a couple of salads. Well, I fell in love with them. I said, Larissa, would you mind working for us on the weekend and doing pierogies? So we're doing handmade, fresh, daily, in the back pierogies on the weekend. And That's now we've cool. added pizza. And then all of a sudden the room's getting busier. People want to have parties in the room and we need more help. And I put some feelers out, call an old friend that used to own a bar in town. And when COVID hit, she said, I'm out of here. She sells her her position in it. I called her up and offer a job. She comes in and checks the place out and says, you know what? I think I can handle this. And and now Kelly's doing a great job and we're starting to add quesadillas and nachos and, and pizza and now pierogies. So we're going that direction because it's about someone, it's not just about selling a case of beer. They can l- listen to someone playing guitar and, and singing and then having the best progies ever had in their, in their life and blow their brains out. This is so good. And then all of a sudden they have, you know, Uncle Goose. So it's just creating, you know, that hospitality. And, and, and it's, it's all about good times, good beer, good food. And now you, you create an experience. And then what are they going to do? They're going to tell people about it. There's an activity plex next door to the new brewery, uh, in our new location in Burlington. And it's a kid's own place. Like they got swimming and aquatots and fitness and stuff. And I remember the first couple of weeks we were open. I'm in my office, tap rooms beside the offices. And I hear all this laughing and screaming. I walk into the tap room. There's 20 strollers <laughs> in the new tap room. I like going, what the heck? All the mamas next door come over after 
the aquatots or fitness little because it's like mom does a class with the you know the kid is like i forgot they call it but i think it's fitness tots or something and they're having a good time they're having a beer they're sharing a pizza and i'm like oh my god this is so cool i don't know if you guys know that this brewery's named after two kids nick was seven when he started making beer now he's 27 and, you know and and then they love the vibe they love the atmosphere the food's decent and then, you know, you go back in the tap room on Saturday afternoon and you notice a couple of the moms and like, wow, you guys are regulars. Like saw you on Tuesday. You're back on Saturday. Talk to me like I, I need some information here. What, what's bringing you back? They're like, John, this is a cool place. You know, you, you make good beer. You got decent food. And, and I wanted to bring my husband. I wanted him to experience what we experienced on Tuesday. I'm like, God bless, man. God bless. And these girls have become like regular customers of ours. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. That's That's fantastic. Yeah, that's super positive with the new new spot. Um, I think I'm looking at the time here. Do you want to do the next one? Yeah, we got to do man. We got to do some headstock. Yeah, the classic, the legend. The one that's paying the bills now. So (laughs) year after year after year, um, you know, you launch a new beer, um, you know, it's got some momentum and, you know, it peaks out and then it fizzles out. And then, it, you know, you do the next uh, one off or next seasonal beer. But headstock at the end of the day, um, you know, you look back the past, you know, 10, 12 years. It's been our staple, our, our number one beer. So I got to tell you the story how this one started. Please. Um, going back to, you know, when I talked to you about the gluten-free beer and the apple beer, the brewers were getting mentally beat up, you know, going to events and talking to their co, you know, people in the industry and their brewing partners and stuff. And, and they were, same thing, they were getting a bit mocked and critiqued. So the staff came up to me and the brewery, brewing staff came up to me and said, John, we got to make an IPA. I said, guys, yeah, let's do an IPA. Like, we're in a happy place now. So I said to them, you know, a lot of them were shopping in the States, going to Buffalo, consumer beverages, different places, buying beer. And I said, next week or so, I need you guys to do some research, do some traveling, and go out and buy your favorite IPAs. So we had IPAs from Upper State. Yeah, I think Etica Brewing Company. That's one of the first breweries I tried, uh, Citra. You know, okay. they went and got all these IPAs and stuff. And we sat down at the table and uh, with two of our brewers. And I sat down at the table and I go, okay, I like the bouquets coming out of this one. I love the malt, you know, base out of this one. And I love the hot profile in this one. So they took the three, four beers that I liked and they put together a recipe and headstock was created. One of our brewers was going to the uh, American Brewing Awards. And um, he said, John, there's still time to enter. Do you mind if I enter headstock? No problem. So he enters headstock. He calls me Sunday morning, freaking out <laughs> that the headstock won a gold medal at the Brewing Awards. Wow. Damn. And at the time, we didn't have a name for it. But, you know, you being from Burlington, I'll remember that we did Sound of Music for years, which is one of the biggest. It's the largest free music festival in North America. Like it's wow. not yep. paid the main festival. Right. So we were doing a lot of festivals, rib fest and stuff. And 
you know, what more than good beer and good music, right? They go hand in hand. And we just, you know, saw a lot of that beer being, you know, consumed at, at a festival. And we were doing a lot of festivals. So we named the beer Headstock. Love it. Love to see there it. You go. Gentlemen, cheers. Classic. And this cheers. is more that classic, you know, full body, yeah. piney, mm-hmm. yeah. bitter, you know, that West punch. Coast IPA, right? Definitely. Yeah. I actually remember when I went to the brewery that time in 2011, I got Headstock when it was in bottles. And I remember getting two different bottles. And I think one of them had, did you say it was called Sound of Music, a festival? Yes. So we yep. did a lager. We tried to do, uh, you know, we, we tried to have several brands of Headstock. Okay. We were doing a lager. We were doing a red. We, we thought we would, we would, uh, be able to brand multiple different styles of beer with the one brand for festivals, but it backfired on us. Backfired. Okay. I guess because people got confused because of the yeah, consumer. Yeah, we're too small of a brewery. So look at the color difference between uh, Uncle Goose and Headstock. Yeah, so there's a lot lighter. more malt in uh, Uncle Goose and much more orange. Yeah. I feel like you can't see it as well on the camera, but I'm looking at it in real life and it's significantly different. It's a lot more paler, like a more straw kind of color. It's not um, as sweet, right? No, not as sweet. Um, definitely we'll, a little. We'll ferment out headstock a little further mm-hmm. and where Uncle Goose probably has a little bit more residual mm. sugar. It's delicious. God, yeah. this beer has got to be one of the best beers that's held up in Ontario. Like I feel like Nate and I did a West Coast IPA um, episode just drinking – West Coast from Ontario and Quebec, and the two that we did from well, Ontario was Headstock and Lone Pine, and it's just yeah. it, it's like this beer is so damn good and it's year round. Like it, it's so crazy that there's a beer this good that's just year round, and you can just pick it up at the LCBO for a few bucks. It's just crazy. I'm a big fan. Yeah, of Lone Pine too. I'm out. Uh, I definitely fan of, of Sawdust and Sam, and we used to do 1105 because Ryan and Sam had the same yeah. birthday. Yep. We have a soft spot uh, for those boys. They're, they're good boys. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and it's cool that it's you two because yeah, Sam's a friend of ours as well and such a champion. And and you got just having those two beers like that are just so exceptional. And there's like and it's, they're both year round and they're both easy to get. And it's just kind of crazy sometimes when you really think about it. Like you know, to get good beer, so accessible. So accessible. There's some great beers at like the LCBO. So we're going to be but, putting, we were going to be focusing, like we find that, you know, new is always sexy. And we're like, guys, Headstock pays the bills. Yeah. And so it's yeah. cool to do Creeper Reaper and Uncle Goose and all this stuff. But we feel that Headstock's that proven beer. It's lived the test of time. And we, uh, it's in about half of the LCBOs in Ontario Mm -hmm. and we're going to be putting a push and focusing on, on that brand in in the next coming months and into 2024. But our goal is to have headstock in virtually every liquor store in the province. I'd love to see that. I just had a thought while you were saying that I was in Florida for a month in April and two things that I bought remind me of this. I bought a six pack in short cans of, uh, Bell's Two Hearted, and also a six pack in short cans of Cigar City's High Alley, which are both classic, you know, been around for 10, 20 years, uh, West Coast IPAs and 
I'm I loved it. I loved having them in a six pack. I loved having them in the short can, and this very much reminds me of that. It's about the same ABV as well. Um, have you ever considered maybe because this is kind of like a flagship beer that's legendary and that, like you said, keeps the lights on, like doing something like that, chucking it in short cans, throwing it in like a a multi pack or anything so like that. So the issue in Ontario is that you know the liquor board is the driving force. Okay. okay? Mm. And they and they it, love tall boys. Tall boys, tall boys, and gotcha. it's also that margin. Like they, if I told you, you know how much, you know, there, there's a dollar plus in taxes in a tall boy can, right? So every time that can's flipped. You know, you know, the government and the liquor board are making a dollar plus and they've driven that channel. So we if you look at short cans in the province and like you look at cans only got popular in in the U.S. five, six, seven years ago, where you look at cans, cans got pop. We were one of the first breweries in the province to buy a canner. And we, I, I think we bought our bottling line in 2005 and we bought our canning line in 2006, hmm. right? So wow. like 18 years ago or 17 years ago, <clears throat> we started selling in the States, you know, years ago. They didn't want our tall boys. We had nodding headstock in a bottle because the States wanted it. They didn't even look at, and they, they were adamant that cans were never going to be popular. And then it shifted there too, because people that drink craft beer, it's changing a little bit now, but it's changing because of price point. If you buy it, we talked about this earlier. If you buy a can of headstock, it's $3.75. If you buy a case of headstock, it's $3. If you buy a six pack of headstock, because I, I, I reduced the price as you increase the volume. So single can $3.75. If you buy six, you're probably paying 340. If you buy 12, you're probably paying 320. And if you buy 24, you're paying $3. So you're buying it because convenience, you want six, they're short. But in Ontario, what's driving the pack size right now is that, you know, it's, it's sign of the times. Mm. Everybody's dollars got to be spread out a little further. And if they're a big fan of headstock and can, you know, buy a case of it for $3. So pack sizing is driving it. And I bet you the LCBO, I'm hoping with, you know, the beer stores agreement coming to renewal in 2025, that, you know, they had a behind the door agreement that the uh, liquor store could not sell 12s and 24s. I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that changes and that you'll be able to go to the liquor store and they'll have the price for single, six, 12, and 24. And you can make that decision there. They'll have to carry more product. And that'll make a big difference. I have no idea why that was done. And, you know, I think there was some greasing going on and some backdoor conversations. And how that formulated is beyond anybody's idea. Yeah. And hopefully that changes, right? I don't think the beer store should leave, but... You know, I think some stuff needs to change, definitely. For sure. I remember yeah. I, I remember getting uh, recently, I think my girlfriend was buying like a, you know, like the vo- neutral vodka soda or whatever. Like, and yeah. they had them in 12 packs at the LCBO. Yeah. So again, 
what was happening when those when the seltzers first came out and that's what's affecting the beer industry we talked about this earlier before when mm. we went live you know the legalizing uh, of marijuana and and seltzers like if you would have told me five years ago that flavored water was gonna <laughs> change the beer world i would have thought you were crazy and a lot of it is just it that's what it is it's badly flavored water with god knows if there's even vodka in them right and people are are more health conscious as their carbs their sugar content their intake and all this other stuff and between inflation marijuana cost of living and all that stuff it's affecting the beer industry right things yeah. are things are changing like like the first year of covid it was like christmas for a full year and then the second year of covid it was like oh my god you know i drank too much that first year i got to start making some cutbacks and beer is one of the ones that 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 got hit but yeah. honest to god like it's changed the world we're making a cocktail now not that i wanted to but when that trend even non elk like the, the growth in that sector, there's a call right now. The LCBO wants to carry more non-alcoholic beer, mm-hmm. right? And to make a good one, you make beer it's difficult. and then you remove yeah. the alcohol, right? So it's actually more costly to make than regular beer. Where, hate to say it, the cheap stuff is flavored water. The good stuff, mm-hmm. like the older, like now you can buy yeast to eat the alcohol and stuff, but the good stuff that was made, like, you know, the Bexes and non-hawk Bexes and all that, they made beer and they spun the alcohol out of the beer mm. and left the bitterness and the flavors that were there. And that's why it was just as expensive as an alcoholic beer, right? But it's a huge yeah. trend, right? So if you would have told me, like, even flavored water, like bubbly, buble, whatever you want to call it, like, it's crazy the volume that brand's doing, right? And that's yeah. all these seltzers are, is a can of buble with a friggin' shot of booze. That's all it is. Basically, yeah. Yep. It's, it's yeah. definitely appealing and, uh, to them. Yeah, on, it, like appealing for sure. And certainly, like, and certainly expensive, but also complicated. Uh, like um, our friend Matt from, uh, like from Rorschach, uh, well, like when I was talking to him about this a couple of years ago, was telling us that the uh like the free spirit non-alcoholic ipa that they make like he said is the hardest recipe that they've ever had to develop um that like just like just to kind of get that right because it's you know like you were just describing that simple matter of making a beer and spinning the alcohol out of it is not uh, like obviously not as simple as it sounds to be able to still have the integrity of that like of that flavor Keep the flavors, the aromas. It's it's very very dry hops. Things have changed recently. There, there's more techniques and yeast and stuff that are help, but it's still costly to, to make. Right? It's crazy. Yeah. So we have one more beer to do, and then we can do yes. a little bit more talking. I'm thinking. Yeah, man. Let's do it. This is another classic. We brought it back. Oof. I have not this had this is, beer for uh, a long time. If I'm not time. mistaken, is one of the ones that used to be in the great big uh, 650 or 750 mil bottles back in the day, right? Yep, you got it, man. Oof. I Classic remember that. 6%. Oh, yeah. I remember this in the – did you ever have it – I swear you had it in the short, like the like the almost twist top bottles. Uh, we had had this in 750 mil, twist off, 
473 mil. It's been around Everything. the world. Around the block. I don't even and know if I've the, had this. notes of coffee and caramel. Crazy. You want to hear a good that. one? You want to make yourself a little dessert one night? Grab Talk a can me. of maple porter and pour it over a nice big scoop of vanilla ice cream. You're going to get a frappuccino, baby. Oh, let's oh, yeah. go. I'm here oh, for that. Yeah. Oof. Um, so you actually put maple in this bad boy? Oh, there's drums. Drums of maple. The mine's also. warmed up a bit because if it's too cold, you're not going to get it. Right. You want to drink this beer in all honesty. Like mine's pretty much cellar temperature because we know we've been talking for two hours. You would be so going hard. It was ice cold. So a big difference. So I've had this beer ice cold at the tap room mm-hmm. and it tastes good. Nothing wrong with it. But this beer to really, really enjoy it and get all the flavors in it. I don't know if you guys just pulled yours out. We have coolers. This has been yeah, sitting just, on my kitchen just out of table. Just bag here. The caramel and the coffee and the chocolate and the meat, it actually tastes sweeter than it is cold. So it's amazing, oddly enough, that when it's cold, it doesn't taste that sweet. It tastes dry. I've not had this at this temperature as of yet. And I, this is a beautiful beer. Gentlemen, get that in you. Cheers. Cheers. Again, like, you know, someone that wanted to start drinking Kentucky. Oof! It'd be it would be they they, they would never intro. do it. But this again, call it again. But you know it's what a porter is. Porter's in the Sweet. stout family, right? But someone to start drinking an imperial stout or you know like something like you know Kentucky, they they never be able to handle it. But this again is gateway. Like this beer is more deceiving. It's color and smell. When you start drinking mm-hmm. it, it's well balanced. It's smooth. It's approachable. You know, mm. like my mouth is just just full of that coffee, nut and chocolate. Just like it's just yeah. lingering in my mouth. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It's like a nice that maple sweetness as well. I mean, maybe in comparison, because I'm having it directly from a, a, a There's more thousands of dollars. We do like 35 barrel uh, batch of this stuff. And we put thousands of dollars of maple syrup, Ontario maple syrup in, in directly. this bag. Like I yeah, said, man. I'm not kidding. It's, it's in our mix pack right now. We have a mix pack with five beers and, and a toque, which is a great Christmas buy and gift. Truly. But if uh, you yep. got it, yeah, Pontiac, there he is. Get that maple porter, pour it over some. So we did a food and drink show. We used to do the, the Green Apple Pilsner. And I don't know if you've ever been to a festival, but Toronto Beer Fest, many, many years ago, we have a lineup that's like, 30 40 deep on a saturday afternoon and we're doing green apple pilsner floats scoop of vanilla ice cream in a 16 mil plastic glass filled it up with beer gave them a spoon and it was on fire we had this lineup and i'll never forget this our booth is on fire people are lining up for it getting beer getting the float or getting both and i see these media people and they're like, what the hell? Who's this brewery? Well, who's Nickelbrook? Like, we were nobody, right? And I look over at the badges, and I kind of walked up to them. Hey, guys, how's it going? I noticed they're with the Toronto Star. Mm. I'm like, holy Batman. So I'm like, hey, guys, do you want to try our float? So I handed, you know, a couple of them one of the floats. And they were like, holy mackerel, can, 
can you give us a quick interview and we take some pictures? Do we not make, this was, I think, um, I don't know if it was Friday or so I think it was the Friday night. And then Saturday, do we not make the front page of the entertainment section of the Toronto Star? <laughs> Nickelbrook Rocks Toronto Festival of Beers. Look at that. I there you it. go. So we would then, you know, that was the one of the first shows we did that. And then we'd start doing Toronto because then the fall sets in. And there's Toronto food and drink and Ottawa food and drink and London food and drink and Hamilton food and drink. And we would have our beers and we would do green apple Pilsner floats. And we're doing the Toronto food festival and a chef came up to us and tried the beer and he saw us doing it with the green apple. He goes, have you guys tried the maple porter with ice cream? And we're like, no, but we can. And of course we get a glass, do it. And we're like, oh my God, it turns because <laughs> of the coffee and the chocolate and the caramel. Yeah. Honestly, I let the ice cream melt a bit and it turns into a Frappuccino. So if I'm having a dinner party and everybody's into it, my dessert will be maple porter with a scoop of vanilla ice cream. Oh, I have to do that. And this yeah, is really good beer to cook with, right? Like you can marinate ribs with this beer and, and stuff. Like it's a good base to those stews and, and marinades. This is a great base. Yeah, pulled pork yep. or something like that. We used to so do those, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pour a can. That's perfect. Yeah, man, this is this is a classic. This is so nice. Porters are underrated, man. I really think porters yeah. are just such a phenomenal style and they're just – this and this is really cool because this is just such a unique version of it. And typically, maple—the interesting thing here—I I always know that maple like can kind of ferment out of beers when you throw a lot of maple in there. So I imagine it has, like you said, like a metric shit ton of uh, of um, maple in this for it what to come What we do through. with this beer is we put we brew the beer and we put them. So we don't actually boil the beer into the the maple syrup into the beer so we actually add the maple syrup um you know like in the bread at the whirlpool so you make beer oh. you boil it out you put in the whirlpool to separate the solids the hops and everything from the liquid and then once that's done we add the maple syrup so we put this beer into the whirlpool and that's why you get a little bit of residual sugar by boiling gotcha. it you would break it down a bit and reduce it a bit so that's why you get a little bit more residual sugar in this beer that makes sense but it's not too much i wasn't even saying that to, it's just it's no. such a unique characteristic it's like it was sharply yeah. sweet compared to a, a very bitter west coast ipa but it's so smooth and balanced like this is the perfect like i love ending like a drinking session you have a like a lager you have like a like a whatever west coast ipa a hazy ipa and then finish on like a, a a sour or a a dark beer and this is this is perfect because it's such a dessert style beer without being over the top and not too sweet. And I can imagine a nice, uh, I don't really do lactose, uh, dairy, but uh, I would do a nice, like a coconut base or oat based ice cream in this. That would be money. I can see that working. <laughs> so you guys have, I think you guys want to have a shoot a couple of questions at me. Yeah, man. So we're off, um, in the beginning, we were talking about sort of the state of craft beer. And obviously that's a big, Big uh, thing that everybody's talking about. Obviously, last week was the Ontario Craft Brewers Conference that uh, we, we were all at. And um, it was just something that I feel like whenever I sort of sit down with somebody from the uh, from the beer scene, we just, you know, end up 
inherently talking about this is just such such a uh, an interesting thing. So before we were started, you, you were making some really good points of kind of about just where it's at and you know the the difficulties that breweries are facing right now like uniquely like i'd love to just like maybe just riff off that a little bit and like sort of you know where do yes, you think on cryo craft beer is at right time. now so the first year of covid i you know i i, I work like an eight hour day i don't even know what that looks like you know my average day was nine to 16 hours right you thought you had to be at the brewery every day you were making beer delivering it uh, tasting sales calls emails covid hits you know, your, your meetings are on Zoom. So going to LCBO for a meeting was a day to get there, meeting, get back. Now you're a 45-minute Zoom call, you're done. So you get all your work done, you're enjoying your life more. You're, I started cycling, gardening more, expanded my garden. Things are great. Sales are flat. Costs are, are down because you're not doing the shows. You're not... There's no coasters, glassware, posters, tap handles, all that's gone. So bottom line's strong, top line's flat, but you can live with that. And then second year COVID hits, it's like, oh my God, I drank so much last year. I've gained 10 pounds, this and that. And then, you know, people, you know, look at marijuana. It's like, well, I can, you know, in, enjoy some cannabis products and, and not gain weight and, and then they look at these seltzers and go, oh, my God, this has hardly any carbs and calories and no sugar. And all of a sudden it pivots. And then on top of that, you know, let's face it, you know, I'm in my mid 50s. I grew up watching Hockey Night in Canada and, you know, I would, you know, play, watch a game and then go outside and play hockey, pretend I was Daryl Sittler and. And when I turned 19, I bought a case of Molson Canadian because I was brainwashed watching Hockey Night in Canada. And that was the beer sponsor, right? And, you know, fast forward to 2023, a kid turns 19. He's not buying that beer. He's not even buying craft beer. He's going to the cannabis shop, buying something there. Edibles are on fire. You know, smoking marijuana has gotten more and more popular. And they're worried about how they look and they're worried about their, 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 con, their sugar con, uh, intake and their carb intake. And all of a sudden these seltzers are appealing and they're much more approachable. You know, did I love beer when I was 19? Yeah, a little bit, but it wasn't my favorite drink. I, I bought it because I wanted to catch a buzz. Right. And let's face yep. it. If you're, if you're drinking those, it, it's flavored water basically right so all of a sudden the the younger demographics has pivoted to that the older demographics is saying i beer bloats me and it, it's it, i gain too much weight drinking it your metabolism slows down so you got multiple things happening beer was on fire when beer went in the grocery grocery had christmas for 12 months i talked to buyers at all the top grocers in the province and the first year of, because the restaurants were closed, people were cooking and entertaining at home. They were drinking, you know, all their different favorite drinks and cocktails and stuff. And they were on fire. And then now, you know, you're in recession. Everything's gone up. Cost of food, dairy, bread has skyrocketed. People are doing their groceries and they're like going, okay, they get to the beer aisle and they're like, 
I'm out of cash. And then the grocery stores that sell more beer or have a, you know, you know, a more diverse lineup are, are the Loblaws and, and the Fortinos and the Metros. And people aren't shopping there as much. Instead of going to Loblaws, they're going to No Frills. Instead of going to Metro, they're going to Food Basic. Instead of, you know, going to Sobeys, you know, th- th- they're going to Freshco. And they don't have as much beer and a lot of them don't even have beer. And and so we're not getting that exposure. And then they, they get to, you know, check out and they go, I don't have any money left for beer. So I'm not going to the liquor store or beer store to get it. And if they do see it in the grocery store, they kind of get a mental total of what their shopping carts at and they skip that aisle now. Right. So so many yeah, things. Yeah, when are your happening. grocery bill is already like when your grocery bill is already topping two hundred plus, you're like you're definitely not thinking like oh, let, let's peruse the craft beer aisle while we're at mm. it. You know, every like almost everything I regularly buy has gone up about a dollar. Like you know, you don't see kale for you know a two or three dollars. Kale is is four dollars, right? You know, your bread's gone up a dollar. Your dairy's gone up like butter has gone up a, a couple of dollars. Insane, Milk almost double. You know, the ones bacon. I get, yeah. We used to bacon, get bacon yeah. on sale all the time for like three, four bucks. You know, a pound of bacon is seven, eight dollars now, right? Mm. It's You look at potato chips. You used to get a bag of potato chips for two bucks all day long. They're four dollars and the bag sizes dropped. I was looking at it the other day yep. and I was doing the math and we complain about the price of beer and the price of gas, but we pay for soft drinks, water and chips. Do the math. Like some of these chips, we're paying six, eight, ten dollars a pound for chips. Yeah. Right? Probably just make your water. Own. Like yeah. some of these boutique geeky waters, what we're paying for a bottle of water. And then you got this flavored water, but we're paying for, you know, it like say by the liter. And then we complain about the price of beer and the price of gas, but we'll, we'll buy flavored water. And then, you know, to make it even worse, beginning of 2023 for about a month, the news had all alcohol is not good for you. Alcohol, two drinks a week, but you know, excuse my language. We, we allow us to eat hot dogs. I've been told hot dogs should have a warning label on them. They're so bad for you, but we don't worry about that. My dad lived to be 91 years old and he had two glasses of wine every day with his meal. We had a bottle of wine on our dinner table every night. As a kid, I was allowed a glass and my dad had about two. And if you looked at his medical record, he barely had one, right? It's just, it's all in moderation, all in proportion. It's how you live your life, right? And, and all the other things you do. But they brainwashed us to think that alcohol is not good for you. Yeah, if you abuse it, it is. But in moderation, there's nothing wrong with it. Yep. The truth all these the factors compiling. Government's telling you not to drink. The news telling you the same thing. Everything's gone up in price. You know, everybody's counting their carbs and their sugars and their, and their calories. And, and then on top of all that... You know, everything's gone up to us as a brewer. Like there were two years ago, you couldn't get cardboard. Like people didn't realize by ordering online and going, everybody, we were one of them. Like every day there was the doorbell rang with the Amazon box, right? 
And, you know, I said to my wife, I go, if I see another Amazon box, I'm going to lose my mind because I can't get cardboard boxes right now because people didn't yeah. realize there's only so much cardboard. There's only so much of it being produced. And people like Amazon and Walmarts and stuff, they've got contracts with penalties. I have contracts, but I'm not smart enough to put a penalty on it. So, you know, I put in my cardboard order for my can tray boxes and like, sorry, we can't fill that order. What do you mean you can't fill that order? I've been buying boxes from you from Better Bidders days. I've been a loyal customer for 30 years. Sorry, John, we don't have any board. What do you mean you don't have any board? You're in the cardboard business. <laughs> and then, you know, you finally find out that, you know, people like Amazon secured all the board in the country. Mm-hmm. And now you got to find someone that's got board and the price is triple. Right? Yeah, cans, went up, right. cans went up 25%. A can lid went up 30%. A glass went up 40%. Barley went up 50%. People don't realize, yeah, we have the prairies and we grow a lot of barley, but it's not enough. A lot of our barley comes from the Ukraine. And that's why our bread prices are high and all our beer prices have had to go up. That country's in devastation, right? Like, they got bombs flying around. They're not cultivating their, their fields. Right. Mm. So the, a lot of things happened in a very short period of time and it's put our industry in. And on top of all that, the industry grew too fast, right? Like, you know, it got so sexy that, you know, everybody wanted to own a brewery or be part of a brewery. And, you know, who doesn't have a friend that's got some money and likes beer and don't be your investor, you know, and, and, places like Niagara college and stuff like they're pumping out all these kids and there's not enough jobs. And all of a sudden they're all starting these breweries and stuff. And so it's a combination, like everything happened, like honest to God, within 12, 24 months, you had so many breweries opening, you had you know, a reduction in, 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 you know, people in consumption increase in all your costs that there's nothing I touch that's not gone up in price on me and it's mm. and everybody and we're and we're you know a solid staple you know brewery we have a good base right so a lot of these little guys i don't know how they're gonna do it um tap room alone you know unless you run a very lean and mean shop a tap room alone i don't think can cut it like if you're a brew pub and you sell a lot of food and you've got good quality food and you got a good price point and I honestly think 2024, especially the first quarter, are going to be interesting times for for brewers because when people get their visa bill, they're going to be partying, having fun, and drinking and eating, you know, till January 1st. And then reality is going to set in when they realize how much they spent and costs and different things. So we're in. I think we're in for a challenging 2024. And Every week I hear of a brewery closing right now. And it's sad. I don't like to, that's devastation for anybody. Anybody that has to do chapter 11, that, that, that's, that's, that's tough on any human being. And it's hard people that work within that inner in, industry or for that company, it's tough. It's going to be interesting. So we need mm-hmm. to really push. And there's a big push right now to go to your MPs and MPPs and OCB is, I can send it to you, but, They've created a postcard that shows, you know, all the costs a brewery has. And when you have a can of beer for three fifty, and you take out the costs of uh, producing the beer, overhead, packaging materials, grains, labor, tax, you're down to zero. And the only 
hey, you've got right now is our tap rooms because our tap rooms, we get all the, you know, we get all the money from that beer sale. So if you can make a few points there, but depending where you are and, you know, in your, in your business, a tap room may not be enough, right? So it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the next 12 to 18 months. So we need to support those craft breweries and those little guys. I couldn't agree more as far as supporting any small business. I mean, beer particularly, because that's what we're talking about here, but any small business in your community, instead of going to Starbucks, go to a small local cafe, independent cafe all the time. I I I dine in the, in the small mama papa shops. Like I, I would rather buy my clothes and, and stuff from a little independent, you know, store. I I'm, I'm a big supporter of small business, huge supporter of small business. I'd love to see that. And I think we all need to do that more. If you, what, what do you think is going to get craft beer out of this, whether it's in 2024 or beer? It's a cycle. Like, you know, a lot of these seltzers are, are, are not well-made and you know what? Like I, I got my exercise playing road hockey, climbing trees, biking, People need to get more active, get off their butts. Like they're worried about their calorie consumption. Be active, you know, exercise, go for a run, go for Burn a walk, calories. go for a bike ride, you know, and and, exactly. and pay attention to what you're eating and, and drinking. You know, those are all artificial flavored and hopefully they'll grow out of, you know, when I try a lot of these seltzers, I can't even finish the can because all I taste is the sweetener and the artificial flavors in it, right? So hopefully people yeah. will grow out of it and it'll be a, a, you know, a bit of a roller coaster and the strong will be left standing basically, right? Mm. That's do you think we have time for one more? What time? We we good. Do you want to, what do you want to do? You want to do that root beer? Well, I want, we want to talk about root beer. Nickel I think we should talk about the root beer. Kid, you know? Let's I, talk I, my, la- my last story of the night. Yes. Um, I don't know if everybody's been to Ellicottville, but they've got a great little brewery there, EBC, Ellicottville Brewing Company. And um, kids, of course, wanted them to learn how to ski. I didn't even learn how to ski till I was in my early 30s. I'm bringing Nick and Brooke to Glen Eden and Milton, learning how to ski. I'm watching them ski, and I don't know how, so I sign up for adult ski lessons, and I learned to ski within a season. The next season, we book a family trip to Ellicottville. We're out having dinner, and Brookie is a little bit of mini-me, and she sits down, and I order a flight of beers, and my daughter orders a root beer. She gets the root beer. She starts to sip on it, and being a dramatic little girl that she is, she's like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy oh my God, this root beer is going to change my life. I'm like, okay, bro, calm down. I don't think a root beer is going to change your life. So she drinks it. She passes it to me. I taste it. I was like, wow, this is really good. We're leaving the brewery. We've had our dinner. We're cashed out. We're leaving. And there is a pallet. Oh, bless you, sir. There's a pallet drop of root beer by the by the door anyway just so there's a pallet of beer by the root beer by the door and my daughter looks and goes dad can you buy us a case of root beer i'm like sure honey so i grab the case of root beer put it on the counter girl comes over and goes that'll be 30 dollars." and i went pardon me the exchange yeah. then was like upper 30s okay mm-hmm. i'm like brooke 
this case of pop is going to cast cost dad $40. I, I, I'm not doing it. Dad, please. And my son, come on, dad. And then the girl <laughs> at the counter goes, sir, this isn't a pop. This is a craft soda. So I break down. Ooh. I buy the case. We're heading home. I'm beating myself up. You know, you work hard for your money and you you want, you know, you, you Absolutely. just, you know, you, you, you want to be good with it. Right. So I'm driving home. I'm beating myself up that I bought this case of pop for 40 bucks, but the craft soda really resonated. Bombs, right? Yeah. So I get home, kids to bed, unload the truck, flip open my computer. I Google craft soda. I Google root beer. Dr. Hires comes up. 1867 root tea there's the recipe start reading this the story it was an herbal drink made by a doctor um couldn't give it away fermented it called it root beer and it became one of the biggest selling sodas in the world mm. there's the process and the recipe and i'm reading the process going oh my god you make a tea you ferment it you bottle it you basically need a brewery's equipment to make this thing. So it became a pop because why would they want to make it that way? But the true recipe was a fermented tea. So I decide to make it a project every Sunday afternoon, Nick and Brooke, and I would go down to the brewery, not our pilot system. We would try to make root beer and first batch, it was basically colored water, second batch, colored water, a little bit of flavor, third batch. My daughter's like, okay, hey, dad, I'm not having fun anymore because you're making a tea. You're doing this all in one day. It's like, daddy, do you know what you're doing? I'm not, I don't, uh, this isn't fun. So we leave. I call one of my wife's friends. That's a herbalist. And I said, Tanaz, you need to help me find, cause I was just buying this stuff at the, you know, the bulk store. Mm. So we went shopping at, you know, herbal shops, you know, East Indian herbal shops and Chinese herbal shops and Scarborough, Missaga. Half of them didn't even, they wanted cash. Like it was crazy. I'm running around buying the stuff. I'm buying cases <laughs> of anise, cases of cinnamon, vanilla beans. I redo the recipe, making it with all this stuff. And it was like, wow, wow, it's turning out. Mm. So home run, you know, turned out great. You know, it's it's not, you know, your hires root beer and it's not really geared to kids. It's more of an adult root beer. And then we couldn't come up with a name. I beat myself, what am I gonna call it? And my daughter talks more than I do. My wife and I are in the front seat. We're going somewhere and Brooke comes up between us and starts talking. And we'd been making the root beer like every weekend. She's like blah, 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 talking to us. And I'm, I'm just looking at my wife and I'm like, Honey, I just thought of the name of the root beer. What? Bablin Brooks. And hey. that was the name. <laughs> That's amazing. Go. I'm going to go grab <laughs> mine. You guys keep talking. I'm going to grab mine. Keep going. Cheers. Cheers. So then we're making this root beer. Brooks happy. My son feels neglected. And, you know, Nick started having, um, you know, parties. And, of course, these kids... Uh, you know, of course he wasn't 19 and, you know, under the, under your own roof, these kids are going to drink with, you know, under your supervision. And if you don't allow them to, they're going to hide it from you. Right. 
So at a young yep. age and an early stage in, you know, you know, Nick's life, he was allowed to drink beer, right? But he had to be in the home. I had to be home and he was supervised by, by myself, right? So, you know, there was some interesting parties at our house and interesting evenings. And we decided to do a ginger beer and, and we called it Naughty Nick's Ginger Beer. So we make ginger beer and root beer. And um, the ginger beer is more of a Jamaican ginger. And they're great. Like um, people make dark and stormies, Moscow mules. They're great cocktail. Even this root beer with um, a uh, spiced rum is excellent on some oh, ice. Yeah, I could ginger that. beer. Like even Ryan gingers. If you make a Ryan ginger with my ginger beer, you will never buy plain ginger ale again. But it's tough. It's a yeah, tough you're market. Gonna, you, you're not going to be. You're not going to be reaching for a Schweppes in that case. No, you know, and we thought that would be a, a gateway to get into accounts and stuff. And but you know, the pop manufacturers are just as bad as the big breweries, right? The kickbacks and the deals they create and all the stuff that they do. Um, it, it's a racket as well. The pop industry, huge racket. Yeah. So yeah. it's, um, this, you know, it's been, it's been good for us. It's in a couple of natural food stores. It's in Jack Astor's. It's been in Kelsey's. And, you know, even if you can't get into an account, you know, I, I tell the staff, like, the root beer and the ginger beer is a great door opener for licensees from premise, right? Yeah. Sell them a case of root beer. It's a great product. They'll get great reviews. And then eventually maybe you can sell them, you know, a case of beer or a keg of beer, right? So it's a great talking piece. It's great to leave samples on and stuff, right? So it's been, a, a, you know, a great gatekeeper for us. That's it, baby. Oh, that's dope. So the old label used to have a, a character of Nick and Brooke on a raft going down a stream. And it was funny. When they were kids, they thought it was cool and fun. And then when they became older teenagers, they came up to me and said, Dad, can you redo the label? Because they were embarrassed <laughs> of seeing themselves on the label. The original label was a character of them on a raft going down a stream. Super cute. But I understand as you get older, it's not going to be yeah. a, a total fit. Um, but it's got a lot of – we buy boxes of anise, boxes of cinnamon – um, to make this product, it's super cool, man. The even just you can taste it too. The uh, <sighs> like the spices really come out a lot more than than in like a conventional root beer. Like if you're just grabbing a can oh, of yeah. like A and W or Barks or whatnot, Crossed. there's there's definitely a lot more heat from like from like the cinnamon and you mentioned vanilla as well. Like there's definitely yeah, got some smoothness and some sweetness from cinnamon. that. It's yeah. Anise too is a big player. We buy boxes of anise and we soak this stuff for, for hours in, in, in hot water. Like we make the tea. It's so yep. delicious, man. I love this so much. The other, I mean, I don't know if you spoke about it just while I was gone there, but um, we also did the ginger, the ginger beer as well. Yeah. We talked about um, it. Talked about that. Not yeah. So, ginger beer. Pardon? Naughty Nick. So the, the, the was called uh, Babylon Brooks, and we were saying Nick started having keg parties at a very young age, and you know there was a few fun times, and their boys were getting themselves into trouble, so we called it Naughty Nick's. But the ginger beer is more of a Jamaican, got a bit of heat, 
And this is definitely flavor. There's kids that don't like it and there's kids that love it, but it's definitely more of a mature mm. audience's soda, right? Mm. Yeah. This is spectacular to me. I'm not, a, I don't really drink soda at all, but I like the, yeah. it's like, it's got so much flavor without being overly sweet. Like it's, it sort of sits mm -hmm. just nice. And well, it, the and most it, main sugar we use on this is Demerara. Mm. And people don't realize that's a very corrupt world as well. Doing my research and getting samples and stuff, I found out that most Demerara is white sugar that molasses has been poured onto. So if you get Demerara mm. and it's gummy and gooey, it's white sugar that's got molasses poured in it. If you buy Demerara, it's usually a larger grain and it's a light brown. And that's it. So we buy organic Demerara to make our sodas. Mm. That's amazing. It's just, how, how does this um, sell both the root beer and the ginger beer? How does that sell? Out of our tap rooms does amazing. Uh, we have a couple of natural food stores that are selling it, does well. Jack Astor's carries it. So oh, yeah. oddly enough, because of what's happening in the beer industry, the past few weeks, I've been putting out feelers with, you know, Nature's Emporium and, you know, all the healthy planet or something. Yeah, the health conscious stores and health conscious distributors. I've been approaching them. Amazing. That's smart, man. I, I, something we've talked about before, but like there's a bunch of breweries who have little side projects, whether it's non alcoholic beer or just, you know, car fizzy flavored, you know, water. Um, it seems to be a bit of like a nice little uh, buffer for for the bottom line there, just to keep it's things going, on, right? It's it's, yeah, it's that was like an appetizer with your meal, right? Well, we launched our first cocktail. I didn't want to get in the seltzers game, you know. I'm you know, kids are lazy, people have less time on their hands, so we launched a Paloma this summer, and we're not calling it a seltzer. We don't want to play in that game. It's uh, a what we call a bar quality cocktail. It's made with uh, tequila. We use a guave base, but, you know, grapefruit juice, blood orange, lime. So to make that drink, you'd have to get four fresh juices, soda, and tequila. That gets difficult at home, right? Yeah. So we called, the board, we called the board back a, over a year ago, well, not this past summer, the summer before, and talked to, you know, the director there and, Asked, you know, what should we do? A lot of people are doing seltzers. You know, do, do you think we should get into it? Has that ship sailed? And they said, John, it's very aggressive, very competitive. And like you're saying, like, it used to be just a single packs. So they're buying 12s and 2-4s of this stuff now. So when someone buys one of these 2-4 seltzers, they're good for a, a week or two, right? So we decided to create a bar quality cocktail. LCBO got... Because they have calls on you know what they on the computer they looking for cocktails and they got over a hundred applications they sampled about thirty of them picked and sampled thirty and then they picked about ten and we were one of the ten chosen cocktails for twenty twenty three and our Paloma ranked number two in the new cocktail division that's awesome god damn. So it's gotten approved for 2024, uh, but it, it's a racket. Cocktails or are, are spirits, cider, and wine are taxed at 53% in this province of ours. So when you Jeez. knock off 53% plus the government fees, 
you're not left with a lot. So it is yeah. a tough, tough market to crack. It's a huge Yikes. volume. Yeah. 53% is obscene. Yeah. It's We're so crazy. is taxed mm. more at like 25. The big guys are taxed at 50. Still, I mean, it's just so much money. It's so yeah. much. But and when I you mean, do that, and that's just provincial. When you do federal and provincial, we're about a third taxes. When you get a can of beer, about a third of it went to the different government bodies. Right. And crazy times, man. It really is. It's uh, it's wild times here. But look, man, you've really got. Uh, uh, you've built something phenomenal over the last couple of decades. You've been able Thank to diversify you. it and, and create, you know, just some gateway products that bring people into beer that also, you know, completely satisfy people who are already into beer and then, you know, do things like the root beer, the ginger beer, the Paloma and things like that, that are a little outside the norm and, and just sort of keep the brand alive. And I don't know, man, I, I highly respect you and everything that you guys have achieved. Thank I think you. you're just really important Thank to you. Ontario, man. And uh, I appreciate you hanging out Absolutely. with us. I know you have a super early morning tomorrow, so we will go yes, a little bit. Yes, got to keep brewing. Got to keep those kettles rocking. You don't mess around. Yes. Um, Johnny, let's take and a quick – Sorry, and all the while, no, with, every, like with everything else that you've done that, that uh, C has just mentioned, you've also managed to make uh, one of the most accessible West Coast IPAs in Ontario, one of our personal faves. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, John, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick thumbnail, take a quick uh, screenshot. Do you want to hold up a couple of the cans or bottles sure. and everything there? Let's get uh, headstock. That's what I was going to do too, a little maple porter here. Oh, next got that. And naughty neighbor. Well, look at that. Ready? Three, two, one. Glorious. Uh, John, where can everybody find Nickelbrook online and in real life? Well, it's in most of your LCBOs, most of your grocery stores, and most of your beer stores. And of course, we can shop online. And <laughs> honest, um, our best salesperson in this province is you the consumer if you want one of our products bad enough email us tell us what store you visit but go in and talk to the store manager talk to the beer ambassador don't talk to the cutest person in the store talk to someone with some authority ask them to bring our product in because i go in our staff go in we're just another pain in the butt salesperson you go in you're a customer, you're spending money in that store, they will listen to you. They will listen to you more than they'll listen to me. If you're a bar owner and every day 10 people come in and ask for headstock, what do you think that bar owner is going to do? That's a great point. Right? And it's tough to get taps, right? So if you want our beer in your local restaurant and bar, push. Ask your friends to push. You know, you want our beer in your local beer store, liquor store, talk to the manager and push. You will get a space quicker than we will. The market is saturated. It's tough right now. And you, yeah. the consumer, have the power to change that. And that's what happened to craft too, going back to, you know, the beginning. You know, my demographics, my parents, my grandparents, they were stuck. The options weren't there. And they generally drank, my dad, <clears throat> most of his, until I started the brewery, but until I started the brewery, I saw maybe two, three different brands come through our house in a period of decades, right? 
where what was happening now, you know, kids were coming home with craft beer because they wanted to know 20 years ago, it's like, where'd you get the grain? Where'd you get the hops? What water are you using? Any artificial flavors or preservatives? They cared about that. Now, 20 years later, they're worried about their sugar carp intake, right? But 20 years ago, it was drinking and eating something more natural, more health conscious, right? And 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 now, um, you know, kids were coming into the brewery, grabbing headstock, naughty, wicked, taking it home. The dad's drinking the same old beer he's been drinking for 30 years. He sees his son drinking it. He's bugging him. Try this, dad. Try this, dad. All of a sudden, they slowly have converted a lot of them, right? But it took years. So we've seen a little bit of an older demographics come in. Um, and then, you know, our headstock drinkers, they're getting older. And so we got to rejuvenate that younger demographics to start drinking good quality alcohol beverages, not that artificially flavored stuff. Couldn't agree more. And that's, uh, there we go. That's on all of us. Um, Johnny, we're just going to quickly rack up. Uh, wrap up stick around we'll just say goodbye off air but uh, honestly man thank, thank you so you. much for your time it's at nickelbrook brewing on uh on social and nickelbrook.com if you want to go and order um any products that will deliver to you anywhere in the province of course we, got to this see. we have our brewery in etobicoke on the queensway and then our our uh, uh, tap room and brew pub in burlington please Absolutely. visit come by I definitely have to swing by and uh, I'm going to try that goddamn pierogi. That sounds insane. I'll let you know for sure, man, because uh, I'm I'm around the corner. I'm super close. Um, everybody, thank you for uh, watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up, hit subscribe below, and hit that notification bell, Nathaniel. Ding. So you know when the new new drops. Follow us everywhere at BAOS Podcast. Uh, track us a five-star rating on the Spotify, Apple Podcast. You know the vibes. We drop every Wednesday. Um, guys, Go check out Nickelbrook, and we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.